faith i'm not going to podcast now that's i replace the word hell i've i've tried to find quotes generally that are negative where the word i'm replacing i, he- I with hear podcast you, but has it doesn't really read no it doesn't the options are uh bad sure uh sure. there's this sort of uh giant monologue that he gives mm-hmm. to christ asking him to punish him physically that's one. Sure. The taglines for this movie are lusting after sinful pleasures. That's the tagline? And then the other one is, this place is evil. <laughs> Which you could you could use this that to describe. Evil. This place is podcast. Yeah. This podcast is podcast. <laughs> Do you know there was also a straight-to-video movie called Thirst? Starring hmm. Lacey Chabert. Chabert? How do you say her name? Chabert. 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 Uh... Which seems to be about people who are literally thirsty for water. <laughs> really? They're like in the desert and they're thirsty. It's like Mad Max without cars. Surrender to the unholy oasis. So when not, is this from? It's not about those people who uh, hate drinking water to the point that they become dehydrated and have to go to the hospital. They hate that so much? There was a story about this a couple of years ago. I can't remember where I read it, but there was a, there was a few like prominent people. Issue water. There's an athlete, I think, who didn't who hates the taste of water, so he would only drink Gatorade or something. Oh, but God. people who who would become dangerously dehydrated because they don't like the taste of water and then would have to go to the ER and get like you know, IVs and everything. I I'm I'm just gonna keep this entirely anonymous. Wow. I was at a wedding. They they bring around the water pitcher, pour everyone a glass of water. Mm-hmm. Guy next to me at the table takes out a packet of Crystal Light, <laughs> pours it into the water. Oh, my God. I give a glance at his girlfriend. She's like, do you not know this about him? He hates water. So he has to, like, he has to flavor anything. He won't drink water he has straight. He like, sugar up some right, water. And she's, he never chooses to drink water, and if we're in an environment. Do I know who this is? No. Okay. He might listen, but, like, if we're in an environment where they're going to preemptively pour water for him, he needs to have, like, five packets of crystal light. Oh, my God. Wait, you that have to keep that a secret. That can't no be good for his no blood whatever. pressure or no, anything. No, none of that's. There's no yeah. way that's good for you. You that's need to drink good, water. Not good for anything, exactly. exactly. What do you mean you hate water? But some people hate water. Some people hate do. water. Mm-hmm. David Dunn, Mr. Unbreakable. True. Hates mm. it. Remember? Bruce Willis in Unbreakable. He he dies at the hands of water. Dies in a puddle. Yeah. Arguably, the water hates him too. It's a two way street. (laughs) The the water has a vendetta against him. The water's indifferent. I think he just, uh, you know, he meets his match in water. Puddle. You think it was involuntary manslaughter (laughs) on the water's part? Um, Be hard to arrest water. That's the problem. Uh, have you ever read the books, uh, The Three-Body Problem, the um, the series of science fiction books? I have not read them. I know of them. Well, I know there's going to be they're a being turned into a, a very expensive yeah. Netflix television mm-hmm. show right now. I'm reading the second one right now, The Dark Forest. Mm-hmm. Wasn't there also a, a movie? It hasn't there been adapted is, a couple of times. I think there was a movie maybe, uh, and he also wrote um, The Wandering, the Wandering Earth. Earth, which right. was a very big right. hit. Yes. Um he he's he's got such big ideas mm-hmm. always, mm. and one of the billion ideas in the dark forest is that one of the people tasked with uh, defeating the aliens, which is what the book is about, 
uh, comes up with the idea of like making people think thoughts, like encoding thoughts into their brains that they can't get rid of. Okay. Uh, the idea to be to in, in, to fill them full of zeal mm. with uh, defeating aliens. Yeah. But he tests it by making people think that they don't want to drink water. Oh. Wow. Because he's like, can I do something so fundamentally against their, you know, biological needs and still have it work? And it does work. So is the villain of this series? There's no villain. Well, the villain is far away. The villain is really, though. I'm Dasani's not trying to get fucking revenge on this guy? <laughs> It's it's one of those books where I could tell you things about the book for a hundred years, and you would be like, "That's interesting too." And I'm like, "Yeah, there's more. There's more. I got more ideas." This like, guy has so many ideas. It's incredible. It's so many ideas. Yeah. It's a very loose narrative, sort mm -hmm. of, but it's a lot of ideas. Interesting. I like him, but I can only read like one of them a year. It's too it's too, too many ideas for it's one year. Too many a ideas. Lot. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know what this is? I I don't know. You don't know is. what this is. It's Blink Check with Griffin Theater. Oh. You seriously don't know what this is? Oh, you're right. I We've been doing this for like eight years. <sighs> uh, I, I'm Griffin, though. I'm David. That's who we are. It's our podcast. It's about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. And sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes they leap up the side of a building, baby. This movie is so good. Do you like this movie? I do like this movie. Thank God. Yeah. I figured you did. No, I hate this movie, actually. It's happened. We've made that mistake. <laughs> it's happened. A couple times we've made that mistake, and people will never let us live it down. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I feel like when I uh, when people have been asking who we're covering next, or people who know that, that uh, uh, this director won March Madness and was coming up next, this is, like, surprisingly one of the ones I hear people cite the most. As a favorite that they're excited for. Absolutely. I agree with you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's it, it looms larger than I think. I think it looms larger than I think. That doesn't really work if I say I think two times in that sentence. Did you say the name of the miniseries? This is a miniseries on the films of Pak Chan-wook. It is called I'm a Podcast, But That's Okay. Today we're talking about his 2009 vampire movie that is... According to Wikipedia, based on Therese Raquin. Therese Raquin. A book that I read in anticipation of this uh, podcast. You actually. did? I really? Did. You busted okay. out the Emile Zola? You know Holy what shit. I did? I read a third of this book and then I finished reading the Wikipedia. So more Fair than enough. I did. <laughs> I recently watched the Oscar winning biopic, The Life of Emile Zola, because I decided that I had to watch every Best Picture winner ever. Yes, you finished it. And, Boring. And, and he just re writes that whole book. You have to watch him in real time. Yeah, he dictates it to someone. Yeah, do like no, four hours it's, of writing. It's like it the original biopic. Like he's yeah. got mustache and glasses. Right. He's like, oh! I have to write a book. Right. You know. Well, that's like Broadway Melody winning like, basically for inventing the musical. And right. they were like, we've never it's thought of good. a thing like that. Right. right yeah. Biopic people were you just mind blown. Right? Well, is it how? Well, we'll talk about it. You know what? We'll talk about it. Yeah. We'll talk about it. Uh, how how inspired it actually is. I, um, I was surprised to see that. Because that, the credit does not exist in the credits of the film, right? Well, actually, I'm not sure. In the, all the uh, like information around it, like the Wikipedia, for example. The Wikipedia does cite it, it but Wikipedia it, yeah. is a bit. That's the other thing. I right. find I, like, I own this movie. I'm loading it up right now. We're mm. gonna see. I, sometimes I find on Wikipedia. Oh, they're burning up again. If a filmmaker in an interview says like, "I was kind of inspired by this," then right. someone will say, "Adapted from." Right. It says directed by, and then oh, and then it goes right to the actors. They do they do credits differently. In sure. Korea. Mm -hmm. Um. Okay. 
what's the name of the movie that we're covering? We're talking Thirst. Thirst. Our guest today who read one third of a book, which is one third more <laughs> than either of us Probably rewatched Thirst. Rewatched Thirst? Oh, yeah, I think I did. I don't know. <laughs> I think that's a key credit, though. Hoi uh, Chan uh, Boy. I'm sorry. Did I fuck that up? Yes, you did. I burped okay. in the middle of it. Hoi Chan Boy. Hoi Chan. It does say inspired by Emile okay. Solo's Therese okay. Rakan in the credits. Okay. Screenplay by Park Chan-wook and... Chung Seo Kyung, his usual, I'm sorry for, if I'm messing those up, um, his usual uh, collaborator, I feel like, uh, screenplay collaborator. Entertainment editor at Inverse. I had to get that out. Um, thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so excited. Thank you for reading a third of a book. <laughs> yeah. I, this is my first time on the show, and I wanted to make a good impression and uh, do some research, and I did my research a little too late in the game. Hey. I started reading the book. A day and a half ago. No, but look. <laughs> okay, no, but no, no, no. You don't understand. That's the blank check way. That's, that's, blank that's check Griffin's way. way, especially, where Griffin yeah. will be like, I want to read this whole novel. Uh, the episode's on the books. We're yeah. going to record it in about six months. I've got time. Yes. And then the day before, I'm like, are you ready? And he's like, yeah, I'm just trying to finish this novel. Yeah. I started it yesterday. Yeah, I've got fucking seven Buster Keaton books on my desk. There you go. I made it through one and a half. It's <laughs> not bad. Yeah, but like six months ago, I was like, I'm going to be... Airtight. I'm going to be perfect. The Buster Keaton expert. Yes. We have a researcher. You know. For the listeners at home, though, mm. we should just sort of mention um, Griffin's desk is um, covered. It's become pretty Griffin-y pretty fast. Unsurprisingly, yeah, yeah. it's got covered a lot of crap on in, it. Well, well, napkins from the, previous lunch orders. Because <laughs> you never know when you need another napkin. You never know. And I got uh, two batteries. Yeah. I have a screwdriver. <laughs> I have a drawing of Watto that I did. I have a little uh, uh, ecto trap. Honestly, this would go on for so long. Ben, here I'm taking this off. What's on this? David has a laptop, two or three records. Yeah, that I need to take home. Uh, David's of course, favorite his toy, trusty. I do have a tape, tape measure. measure. He loves using uh, this in the middle of episodes to what for what reason? Poke people. Oh, um, they put it on my desk, and I've just been playing with it. Well, I mean, I left it there by accident. And then, yeah. of course, you just have some various items from your pockets. Well, I have like my wallet and keys, and I have Correct. a glass for Correct. water. Right, and that's what I have: the essentials, like uh -huh. a magnetic floating hoverboard from Back to the Future Part <laughs> Two, seven Buster Keaton books. <laughs> <laughs> my lunch um thirst thirst we're here to talk thirst did you see this movie when it came out what is your yes what's your history with my, this filmmaker my history of this filmmaker is like many asian americans growing up in the 2000s i watched most of his movies illegally mm -hmm. right. shout out to all of those uh former kiss asian one two three website wait please goers. sorry kiss asian one two three yeah kiss asian one two three dot com i don't okay. know if it exists anymore also don't go there um, bad stuff my computer's on fire <laughs> <laughs> it seems like it can't be reached um, but yeah i watched a lot of his movies uh really in a really grainy really ripped from the right from the theater type of way right um and i i think it was recently i went to see um not this filmmaker, but I saw the host at Metrograph, and I was like, wow, it's so weird seeing this in, in like, total clarity yeah. on the movie screen. <laughs> yes. But um, Thirst specifically, I actually had not seen until last year. So this is a really recent movie for me, and I was just kind of catching up on Park Chan-wook's filmography. I had seen, you know, The Standards, Old Boy, um, The Handmaiden when that came out. Mm -hmm. But I'm actually, and I, I love Decision to Leave last year, but I'm actually... Uh, not fully caught up with his entire filmography. So Thirst is one of the ones that I was like, I have seen this, and I really, really like this movie, so I would definitely be excited to talk about it. Cool. 
yeah. I feel like this one got a slightly wider release in the U.S. But like, I it mean, did. Old Boy and The Host are two movies that I I think of as, and we've talked about this a lot in this series. But like, reading breathless reviews of these movies online and then waiting two years for it to come out in the United States. Like by the time it was finally playing at one theater in New York, I felt like I'd been hearing about it forever. Where is this came out? Literally, like it was, it was at the it was at the Cannes Film Festival in two thousand and nine. So mm-hmm. that's May two thousand nine. Came out in America in July two thousand and nine. Right. This is the point where I think his reputation was big enough here that his yeah. movie sort of just got proper releases right away. Um, and I think, yeah, maybe it might be the first example of that because Emma Cyborg basically did not come out in America. Right. Uh, and the Vengeance movies were all pretty much We went over the weird release strategy of those. Yeah. In the same year. Right. Um, and Old Boy was the only one that was kind of given any real shine in theaters. Yeah. Um, so yes, this is, this is, yes, this is the beginning, I feel like, of him, um, being taken, presented a little more seriously to Western audiences, but also this movie is a two hour, 15 minute Sex, vampire, virus, romance, with kind lots of, of tits movie. and blood, yeah, and like, yeah, exactly, magic and and religion, and I love this movie. I think it might be your be favorite, my favorite, but wow. for one, but for I need to rewatch The Handmaiden. Yeah, not to I'm giving away my rankings now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think I, I remember in 2009 the review was, which is often the review of his films. The review yeah. was like, "That's a lot of movie." Ooh, I don't know. I don't it's not he, for everyone. I don't think he's ever made a little movie. No, not really. <laughs> yeah, but, like honestly, "Decision to Leave" felt like his most restrained movie in a lot of ways, even though it's like very visually busy. All you know, all the and same, like, and structurally pretty dense. Yes, and complicated. Also, um, a lot of movie, a movie that drops you in the middle of another movie. Right, right. I think you know, like a. Uh, he's certainly a filmmaker we've talked about who was really um, buoyed by uh, peak DVD era. Right. And I think Old Boy and the rest of the Vengeance trilogy just very quickly like growing in the couple of years after they were released when they son- certainly suddenly were available at blockbusters and such. Right. Um, uh, it's almost, uh, also because now Old Boy is not watchable in the States as it's about to be re-released. They sort of pulled it from everything. And people were complaining about that they haven't been able to watch Old Boy in preparation for uh, our episode. Right, that that was like a perennial early Netflix streaming movie. Like it felt like that was from the moment Netflix started streaming, always up there. But so those movies uh, very quickly gain a much bigger following here in the States after their theatrical release. And then also this movie's coming out the year after the first Twilight movie. I do feel sure there's a lot of vampire in the air. That's fair. There's a lot of vampire in the air, and I do think there was a pretty quick people being like, "Can I make the art house vampire movie?" You know, I think like Jarmusch talks about uh, only lovers left alive Great being movie. like, "You can get a vampire movie sold right now." You know, yeah, get a couple movie stars say they're vampires. Doesn't matter how right. weird your movie people is. People were right. buying that at that time. What's your yeah. favorite vampire movie? My favorite vampire movie. I don't know what my answer is. What hmm. is my answer? There's a lot of vampire movies. Guillermo yeah. del, Toro, del Toro's Chronos. Great movie. I love. Mm-hmm. I love that movie. I haven't seen that movie in years. Yeah, that's my artsy answer. My it's other answer. answer, which first came to mind, was what we do in the shadows, <laughs> which I love. Yes, that, that is look. That's an incredibly charming movie. Yes. It's very funny. Yeah. Got turned into a TV show. I don't know if you know that. Great show. It's also fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do forget about it, though. Yes. uh, My answer is Hotel Transylvania. One? I think the one is still my favorite. That's not actually your answer. 
No, I'm trying to think what my actual answer is. I don't Nosferatu. know. I do, I do like vampire movies. Me now, too. Now vampire movies are Nosferatu. very... Because yes. I said it in a funny voice. Yeah. Nosferatu. Yeah, now I can't say it. Um, I loved, when I was a pretentious teenager, Guy Madden's Dracula, Pages from a Virgin Oh, Siren. sure. I like anything with vampires. I'm I, I like uh, I like Blood for Dracula a lot. That's sure. a very enjoyable movie. Unfortunately, Buffy the Vampire Slayer was a very formative part of my Same. growing up. 100%. Yeah. 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 Blade 1, Blade 2, this is your <laughs> Blade 3. That's maybe not Blade ben, 3. Okay, <laughs> now you you right. maybe haven't seen that one in a while. But yeah, it's been a you, while. You cannot say <laughs> that Blade Trinity hang. is your third favorite vampire movie. We'll accept the first two. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right. Blade 2 does rule. And yeah. Blade, one is, Blade 1 is pretty fun. Yeah. Come on. Have you watched original uh, Bela Lugosi Dracula recently? I saw it in a theater with a friend of the pod, Karen Hahn, maybe like four or five years ago okay. at the Metrograph. Why? I watched it recently, too, yeah. um, and it's fantastic. It rules. And good bad boyfriend movie. Yeah, good bad boyfriend movie. Oh, the dramatic lighting, the eyes, the um, just everything Bela Lugosi does. Fantastic. Yes. I mean, my my take on this, I, I know, uh, I think Jamel, our friend Jamel Bowie, did a, a sort of universal Monsters rewatch in October and hadn't seen that one before and was tweeting through it. Mm -hmm. It is very front-loaded. Like, the first 20 to 30 minutes of that thing are fucking unbelievable. We were like, well, I'm watching the greatest movie ever made. Right. And it's the best performance you've ever seen. And then the stuff when he goes to London is it it drops off a bit. It's all still fun. You definitely are the most into um you're visiting Dracula at his castle and yes. he's going like Right. <laughs> yes. You. And like Renfield getting converted, all that yeah. shits. All the little creatures I, look, of the night. The thing is when I saw it, I saw it without a score because it doesn't have a score. Sure. It's a talk it's a sound movie with no score because it was like right at the um, It's only at the the opening. Right. Well, it's got like an overture, but like there's no music. And so there's these scenes of yes. like someone walking up the stairs and him walking behind Dead her with silent. no music, which yeah. is so odd. Yes. But I, it, fun yes. like and unusual. But then, of course, there are scores that people have written. Like mm -hmm. Philip Glass wrote a score. And I've always wanted to see how with it feels score, with, sure. a, with a score. Yeah. Um, this movie, he was sort of generating before Old Boy was offered to him. Is this that correct? Is, uh, yes. This, okay. All right. All right. Crack open I'm opening the dossier. The dossier. Yes, yeah. this is the longest gestating Park project for sure, Director mm -hmm. Park. He says it goes back to his childhood memories in the Catholic Church. The priest, this is his quote, uh, a priest drinks red wine as a symbol for the blood of Christ. Mm -hmm. And this always reminded me of vampirism. I actually wonder why no one thought of that before. Yeah, so I that's, agree. Yeah. That's, um, that's, that's how he feels about it. Um, this project was initially called Evil Live. Hmm. Um, and he says during making joint security area, he first thought about sort of whatever the broader concept of this movie. Then when he's making, I'm a Cyborg, but that's okay, which is his prior film to this. Mm -hmm. Um, he wrote down, a, he did a couple of images. One was the, uh, the birthday cake scene where he turns, uh, her into a vampire. Mm -hmm. And then the other was him being turned into a vampire at the beginning, the main character. He was like a protagonist will be a priest turned vampire. And he will eventually turn someone else into a vampire. Everything else he had to figure out. I thought that's a good starting point. When does he figure that out? Is this sort of like just in his mind only as that? No, okay. He was making a short film called Cut. Have you ever seen this? I have not. I have not seen this I one. I assume none of us have seen this. Um, there's an omnibus film called Three Extremes. Yes. Uh, he can, he's contributed a lot of shorts to these kinds of projects over the years. Uh, he was making Cut... 
And I guess that that has a female vampire character with silver teeth. Cool. False teeth, which she uses to punch holes in the victim to Rad. get their blood. Like she doesn't have fangs, but she has like these fake teeth that she puts in. Yeah, smart. Oh. The, I don't know. That sort of starts the ball rolling for him again. And uh, then he picks up Emile Zola's Therese Raquin, and that, for whatever reason, is what, you know, he decides to fuse onto this story, and it becomes Thirst. Uh, he'd been planning Thirst for about 10 years, and then he came across the book. He liked that the book was not romantic or sentimental, which was the approach he wanted to take with Thirst. Mm-hmm. So let's talk. We should need to talk about Therese Raquin. Yeah. Because I think the stuff that he's taking from the book is like, the mother, right? And all that stuff. Well, um, as someone who read one-third of mm-hmm. Tomes Macan, uh, he actually took quite a bit from this book uh, to the point that I was quite surprised because it's not just the mother. It's the whole setup of how the affair starts and sort of the with the the wife and the her this repressed woman who is stuck in a loveless marriage and starts an affair with the friend of, um, of her husband. Right. Um, and then they end up starting this this torrid affair ends up ending in murder. So it actually is quite similar to the book and even has some, like, in, in addition to the broader beats, even has some scenes that are like basically right ripped book. right out of right, the book. Right, 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 like right. the scene where, uh, if I'm allowed to go into spoilers... You can't. Uh, please, spoil away. Yeah, scene, he's a vampire, by the way. That's the biggest spoiler. Oh, is he? Um, the scene where they first have they first start the affair, and she kind of breaks into this confessional of all of her um, pent up feelings and her hatred for her husband and her hatred for her mother in law. That kind of comes spilling out as they're like in the throes of of intimacy and right. passion. That is from the book itself, and that is also you know very much basically straight than straight in the movie. Hmm. Hmm. Wasn't there the recent English language tourist recon? Direct adaptation was it the Oscar Isaac. Um, yes, it was called In Secret. Great title, and uh, it starred Oscar Isaac and Elizabeth Olsen, mm-hmm. oh. and then Jessica Lange as the the uh, the mother, the domineering aunt or mother or whatever. I guess Jason Clark is the husband. Uh, weirdly, um, Hollywood's number one cuck, Jason Clark. It's a recurring love, discussion on, on the show. he has been cheated on many times in films. He has, it's true. Uh, it almost it, feels like a contractual requirement. It did not get that role. It went to, instead, Draco Malfoy himself, Tom Felton. You know what? He's got, he could, if, if Jason Clark, Clark doesn't energy. watch his back. He has to change his name to Jason Cuck, that's why. He could. Well, he tried, <laughs> right. Yeah. Do you like Felton? I do like Felton. I'm uh, sort of pro Felton. I am pro Felton. I'm not like I wasn't one of the you like falling over, girly. swooning right. over Draco sure. kind of person, but I am fond of him. I actually <laughs> he came off very well in that uh, documentary retrospective thing. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. yeah, he seemed very just um, well, you know, centered. I yes, guess not an asshole. Yeah, right. I remember his short stint on the CW's The Flash, and I enjoyed him in that. Was he on The Flash? Ooh, alchemy. He was, yeah. Oh, Dr. Alchemy. Dr. Alchemy, sorry. yeah. Okay. He was a, a newcomer to Star Labs and a sort of a, a foil and, and foe to Barry Allen. I think I may, my wife was definitely still watching The Flash when he was on. I remember seeing him on The Flash. It's mm-hmm. always interesting. He also did, um, he's in one of the Planet of the Apes. Is he the first one? The first he's the one. bad guy in yeah. it, he, right? He played a great jerk in that. Yes. yes, he's a jerk in that. I remember he's a jerk in Bell, right? Remember Bell? Oh, the mm. Goo Goo movie? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you know right. how Belle, you know, like, I always... People are mean to her. 
Right. Some people yeah. are like, well, Bell, I accept you, even yes. though this is unusual. And he's like, well, I don't accept Absolutely you. Absolutely not. I, I think you're bad. Yeah. This is all bad. You know, that's his role. Great, yeah. Dom, great Tom Felton impression. <laughs> I, I, just, I do imagine it must be. I mean, I think he's talked about that he had a, a, a serious drinking issue for a while. He, he kind of hit a wall for a bit there and took a couple years off of acting. I do think it must be tough to be like you're always going to be seen as sort of like a sniveling asshole. Like, right, you Draco Malfoy, you just did it for 10 rich years. Rich kid, mm-hmm. teen People jerk. watch you age into doing it, even though that character essentially kind of redeems himself by he the end. He sacrificed his hairline to that bleach blonde hair. He did. Mm-hmm. Did that ruin his hair? <laughs> yeah. Them just like dumping that just stuff like in his hair. Just like acid peroxide. Yeah. But like all the parts we're listing, even though we're like, he's good, he's always good. You're like, he always is playing stuff that's kind of Draco adjacent. That I must s- be frustrating. I still remember, I think it's in the third, it's in Azkaban, mm-hmm. the movie, uh, where he suddenly, you know, the first two movies he has like the sort of slick back hair. He's a yeah. little twerp. Yes. And then in the third movie, I feel like he's he got gets, the kind of emo. He gets like, bangs. Right, yeah. right. And I remember I was with my friend Hannah seeing a movie. The mm-hmm. trailer plays. You see him, he's like, he's like blowing like a... A little like a paper animal into the sea. He's got this okay. like, and she just went like, <gasps> like, like the fact that they were fucking with things and making people look a little more like oh, contemporary yeah. teen was so shocking it to was, us. We were like, <gasps> people were Draco. so fucking angry when that movie came out, and they're like, they're wearing like jeans, right? They wear jeans in that movie. How dare they? Right. Yeah, she, they uh, let them in, get like, out of sweaters uniform. and jeans and shit. Yeah. yeah. They spend half the movie, Hermione's just like in a hoodie. Right, and it's like, you wouldn't wear your uniform when you're fucking traping through the woods. You don't need no. to. On an illegal mission. Yeah. Right, and like, their uniforms are like robes. Yes. You, you need to Cumbersome. be able to move. Yeah, yes. exactly. That movie's good. Azkaban, very good, yes. The yeah. best um, Harry Potter movie. I, unquestionably in my mind. I think six is the best, but I think Azkaban's the second best. Well, well, Half is in this one. Dobby's not in Azkaban. That is not good. Maybe the, oh. Ben hates Harry Potter aside from Dobby. He had never Big watched any Dobby of them stand. until like two years ago and then yeah. is only into Dobby. But Dobby's only in like two of the movies. Well, those are the two that I like. Because he's in more of the books, but I feel like they were yeah. just kind of like, let's you, not bother with Dobby Do you like Dobby one. better pre-makeover or post-makeover? Like after he loses all his wrinkles, gets some Botox. Well, don't make me decide. Because <laughs> You love all Dobby. I love all Dobby yeah. all the time. I can't pick. <laughs> Dobby's just one of those million things. And we can't do this <laughs> in Harry Potter where you're just like, she didn't know what she was fucking doing. Where it's no. like, he has unlimited powers. He's like very, very powerful. But they're yeah. like, oh, uh, but you know, how self-magic is sort of restricted. And he likes to wear a pillowcase. So that means the weird little guy. Right. And then you're just like, this guy can just like do anything. He's popping around all the time. He can like <laughs> levitate shit. It, I, look, it's. I was thinking a lot about Twilight while watching this movie, just because it's so of this sure. peak Twilight period. Yeah, but imagine if Twilight had pulled all this crap. Well, imagine uh, if Robert Pattinson was covered in boils and stuff. Pinning that, we'll get back oh, to that. Robert Pattinson's gonna hear this and he's gonna be like, "Hmm, mm. interesting." I need to actually yeah. get boils. Robert Pattinson's very active on our subreddit. He's not. That's oh, Hazard Bulbasar. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, you know, what was I thinking? No, Stephanie Meyer, it's like, obviously that was like someone who like, wasn't really thinking about, like, she's just writing all this shit. Oh, like, shit. like how her world works. Or right. Like, you know, and the, it's like right, the obvious thing logics. you throw at it. And then with like 20 years distance looking at JK Rowling stuff, you're like, basically all the same criticisms could apply here. Oh, yeah. Even if she did it more elegantly. She throws time travel into the third one. Yeah. I mean, whatever. We don't need to. She's done a lot of bad things. Where? All right. <laughs> um, so Therese Reckan, he felt reading this book mm-hmm. rather initially, uh, Park, director Parks 
notion of like Sanghyun, who's the main character, uh, would have this moment where he caught himself in the mirror, seeing what he was doing as he's like, you know, descending into vampiric madness. And that would be this like sort of shocking moment for him. And then he was like, what if it's a person who's the mirror? Like, mm. what if it's this mom, like sort of semi comatose or whatever, petrified basically. Sure. And like, she's sort of like watching everything that happens even though she can't do anything. And that becomes the sort of like thing they can't escape the, you know, the, the, the terrible guilt. You were saying the, the mom dynamic is similar in the book. Does she similarly like, does she have a stroke? Is she frozen in the same kind of way? Yes. She okay. actually, it's actually very similar. She has a stroke. She's paralyzed. They take care of her. But then um, as they're arguing during the sort of falling move. out, her yeah. eyes move. I think her eyes move. She, she learns of the murder of her son that right. they committed. And then, uh, it's their the guilt also drives them mad. It's the same. It's pretty similar, actually. I think the they hallucinate his body in like various places. I was about to say, does they have a scene where they have sex and yeah. his wet body is between them, going like, ah, don't mind me. Um, yeah, it's quite yes? similar, and um, yeah. they also drowned him. Uh, I think the drowning in the book actually is much more. Um, practical than the one that they do in the movie where they're like, well, let's go fishing at 9 p.m. Right. Of course, they have superpowers in this yeah. movie, yes. too, right? Um, it's but just yeah. interesting. This and Handmaiden are both him adapting books from different cultures and putting a lot of different stuff onto right. the bones of it. Right. Which more people should do in terms of adaptation of like... Yeah, but like most people aren't, aren't as talented as this guy. are boring. I also think it's really interesting that they're both English novels yeah. and they're both very extremely English and he finds some commonality with that and Korean cultural hi cultural sure. history in some way. Right. And I think that's fascinating in that sort of like All cultural exchange. Up. Yeah. Yeah. Now he does think on reflection that it's funny that he took a very realistic uh, book essentially. Sure. It's like a psychological uh, a vampire thriller. film. Inside. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know. Uh, He's and, like, this uh, is yes. good, but what if it had vampires? He says, it's fortunate that Emil Zola passed away a hundred years ago because he might have had some notes otherwise. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, he starts writing the screenplay now that he has this. Mm -hmm. He starts writing it with, uh, with his co writer. And uh, then uh, he thinks, like, oh, is this going to be, like, too bleak? Is this not going to be funny? He's then surprised when he makes the movie a few years later. And he's like, I think it's the funniest thing I've ever made. Which is sort of, you know, arguably, I'm a cyborg yeah, I, is probably is more yeah. nakedly funny. But that's sure. actually, honestly, more of sort of a sweet movie. Yeah. This movie is kind of absurd and funny and like heightened. And I want to say several times during my notes when I was doing my rewatch, I said, this is a comedy. <laughs> It, it definitely is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's a very, very sort of gonzo comedy, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, especially during the uh, corpse sex scene. Especially yes. during all the corpse sex and all the, the like inexplicable wetness. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's one of my favorite sort of weird like reality breaking into, you know, fantasy things that mm -hmm. he does. Uh, anyway. The main character, he says, you find comedy and humor looking at the protagonist. He can't let go. He's trying to hold on to his faith and his newfound identity as a vampire. Mm -hmm. It's a desperate struggle to hold on to these two ideas, which are mutually exclusive. In this struggle, you can see funny things take place. So it can be said that the audience that laughs the most watching this film are the ones who understand the tragedy of the character the most. He's always, he's always just very profound. Yes. Um, and uh, so uh, he did like horror movies. Uh, as a as a young man, mm -hmm. 
Uh, he says, when I was poor, I would watch a lot of horror movies on like an old small TV. These things, I scare very easily. I, he's like, I can't actually handle a real horror movie. I need to watch it as like a shitty VHS tape to not be scared. Oh, of wow. I, okay. I bet he would watch it on KissAsian123.com. Probably would. Probably loved KissAsian123. That's wild for someone whose films are so bloody, though. I, although I guess there are other examples of that where you hear of, like that, horror like, directors who are afraid of cats. Right. Yeah. And they're like, well, I like doing it because I'm in control. Right. I'm purging. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah these right. fears. I see the process going into it being phony baloney yeah um his concept of vampirism he basically made it like a disease he wanted to take a fairly realistic approach so Mm -hmm. no fangs uh no bats right no Mm -hmm. uh, hunchback servants or fear of garlic or the stake through the heart or any of that stuff that's all gone um so basically i feel like it gets boiled down to thirst for blood Mm mm-hmm can power can jump and shove yes yeah, jump strength. jump shove powers yes uh can't be in sun he can punch a street lamp and run away in one of the funniest scenes of the, the yes. movie yeah but that's basically it right like it's fairly it's fairly stripped down this this form of vampirism yeah i guess he doesn't have heightened senses although they do he, there's the effect that's so great of him basically seeing people's veins that is cool. which is done he, very subtly he does have yeah. the heightened senses when he first sort of turns vampire because he wakes up from passing out and he can hear things on the floor oh, right. below and yes. he can see the little like bacteria on his skin that kind of stuff that shot of mm-hmm. just the camera panning over and you seeing like his his back basically roasting um yes 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 I also think this is a funny quote where he's like, he can't have a fear of the cross because he's a Catholic priest, so that mm-hmm. wouldn't make sense. And then he's like, and also in Korea, all the food you eat has garlic in it. They put garlic <laughs> in everything in Korea, so if you're scared of garlic, there's not a drop of blood you can feed on in Korea. It's kind of a funny gag. If someone's eaten garlic in Vampire Lord, can you not drink their blood? I think it makes them sick, right? According yeah, to, maybe like a little garlic yeah. could be bad. So I think when I read Bram Stoker's Dracula, yeah. it was just like he didn't like garlic, but it didn't make him like you know, it didn't totally fend him off. It's just like this, this, this sinks. I know, I know, vampires hate garlic. I know you know that. I'm saying. Yeah, you're saying like I if considered. I ate a bun- if like a vampire was like about to eat me, and I was like, man. I cook with a lot of garlic. <laughs> That's my question is like, because usually it's like fucking Van Helsing throwing a whole clove of garlic in his face or whatever. Right. If you want to keep vampires away, do you just need to take like garlic supplements four times a day? Do you? I don't know. That's what I'm asking. Well, they probably won't find out till after though is the problem. But you, you have to, you shake the bottle. Yes. You go look at. <laughs> you have to come walk around with a sign saying, I eat garlic you supplements. You pop it in front of him. All right. You just, you. Um, par- Director Park's favorite mm-hmm. uh, vampire movies, Nosferatu. Heard of that one? Yeah. Um, Martin, the uh, George oh, Martin, George Romero movie. I've never seen in people I love. I have never yeah. seen either, and I would love to see. I think it's about to be re-released, restored. Makes yeah. sense. They're all sort of good. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think just uh, just got restored. Available. If there, you want. there was a director's cut with like an extra hour that was lost forever, and I think they just recently found it. That's cool. I want to check yeah. that out. He loves that movie. He also loves The Addiction by Abel Ferrar, which is one okay. of my favorite movies in the 90s. Have you ever seen that? No. Lily Taylor. Mm-hmm. It's a whole AIDS metaphor, early 90s. Yeah. Very, very cool movie. I'm seeing here, it's a, I'm more of an HT2 guy. That's his favorite, because I, I like hard jokes. Right. Heavier on the jokes. Yeah. Um. But yeah, he didn't want to do the classic stuff. He does think the addiction is probably the closest line you could draw. Similarly, quote unquote, realistic movie like set in our world. Yeah, and her her deal basically boils down to she wants to suck your blood. 
that's like the main Th- thing. That is explicitly a, a vampire movie? Yeah. Okay, gotcha. But it's not. You know, it isn't, it isn't. Well, look at you. <laughs> that also recently got restored. There's an arrow of it that oh, I cool. bought. Really good. Yeah. Uh, he also loves everyone's favorite movie, Possession. Yeah. You know, the movie that no one knew about until five years ago, and then suddenly everyone on Twitter watched it at the same time. Yeah. I'm being snarky. Do you have you seen the movie The Sam Neill? I have Neil? seen it. Yeah, it's a I, very good movie. I guess I didn't consider it a vampire movie. No, he's more like the sort of aesthetics of that. Oh, mm. I see. The bloodiness, yeah. like all of that. But no, that's not a vampire movie per se. This is just say. one of his influences. Gotcha. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. He he does like that film. It is a great film. I don't mean to be snarky. No, it's but just kind of funny how everyone watched it. I'm I sorry. That's how I learned about it too. Exactly. Me too. We're all the same. Yeah. I mean, maybe you had watched it before. So maybe about five years ago in a theater. Yeah, exactly. I remember telling you I'd seen it. You went, why? <laughs> I said, I went, why? Yeah, and I was like, I don't know. Everyone talks about it on Twitter. I should go see it. Right, right, right. It was yeah. a famous video nasty, that one. Right. In, in That's Britain. the other thing. It was out of circulation for right. a very and then, long time. And then it time. came back. And then Banned in many like, countries. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. So that is, it is uh, not a chill movie. No. That was the other thing. It was banned for a while. It was out of circulation. And then there was like a Blu-ray that cost $150 and they made like 20 of them. I mean, they always a good like way a to gin up some pre-master buzz. cycle thing where right. it's like, yeah. Uh, he also likes uh, uh, Ingmar Bergman's Thirst. Okay. Mm. Um, with, with mostly coincidental. And he likes Cronenberg movies. Sure. Sure. So do I. Okay. So, yes, he was raised in a Catholic family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he does think that's a little bit of, uh, you know, whatever, why this idea sort of is transfixing to him. Because the character is not a priest in the novel? No, the character isn't the same in the novel at all. It's just some some random uh, hedonist that yeah, she gets into an affair with. Not not a priest at all. Right. He's a hedonist. Yeah. He's just uh, some guy who wants to live uh, an idle life, as they describe many times. Right, because Therese is the... The, that's the the lady. That's, that's the lady. She's the protagonist. Mm-hmm. If they, and Camille, right? Is, Camille is, is her husband. Is her husband, and then okay. Laurent. Laurent. Is... Oh, he's no Laurent. <laughs> and they end up it, not to spoil the end of Thirst, but the end of Thirst is that they kill they kill themselves essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the the novel has the same ending, right? They yes. they they sort of take a final embrace and, and kind kill of exactly. themselves. They... the mother in law at the same time. Yeah. So yeah. basically, the guilt from killing Camille, the her husband, uh, drives them mad, and then they decide to finally commit suicide together. And the mother, I think, just just, just left to her own devices, knowing all of that went that happened. Right. Yeah. And but the fact that she's always there means they can like never escape mm-hmm. the guilt of what they did. Yeah, if she can't like, you know, she's the flesh and blood specter. Oh, it's such a good idea. Mm-hmm. And Emil Zola. Um, so it, this film was co-financed by Universal Pictures, right? Mostly right. done by CJ Entertainment, release. the yeah. big uh, Korean company. Yeah. But uh, that was a pretty big deal. It was one of the first. It was the first ever Korean film to land U.S. distribution before its local premiere in wow. Korea. Okay. Um, now, obviously, it only made like 300 grand in um, America, but still, that's that's not nothing for a movie nope. this audacious, I would no. say, no. In, in 2009. Uh, Old Boy made about, I forget when we said in that episode, but similarly, I, th- I think they just knew these movies exploded on home video. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah Old Boy, Oh, made like seven hundred grand. The okay. other two made uh, the other two vengeance movies made next to no, nothing. Right, um, but this movie was a big hit in Korea. Yeah, it talked about in the 
sympathy for Mr. Vengeance episode, I think. Hell, I I I think one of Director Park's strengths is uh, uh, getting into scenes late and getting out of them early. That sort of like disorientation, but also sort of just like dropping you into the most interesting part of the scene without the shoe leather. Right. And leaving you with a sense of ambiguity and not immediately filling you in on the space between sequences. Right. Um, there's just something to, especially since it is his creation is not anything from the novel that he's taking. The introduction to this character of like, here is this entirely respected man of the cloth who just kind of is filled with like deep ennui and unhappiness, right? This guy who, like, everyone else looks to for balance, who's just like, I don't know, what the fuck am I doing, you know? And, like, a, a lot of other movies would be about this guy's downward spiral, right. triggered by something. Sure. And you basically just start at the point where he's like, I don't know, just fucking inject the virus into me. I don't mm -hmm. know what the fuck I'm doing, you know? Like, minute five, he's getting injected. And he never actually acknowledges the fact that he has some sort of existential crisis no. or problem. Like he, I think during the interview with the the uh, experimenter who asks, are you doing this for martyrdom or for suicide? And he says, my prayers work fine. And it's right. obvious that he's in some sort of denial about all of this. Yeah, yeah. And there's no, there's no clear catalyst for it. We don't know how long this has been going on with him. Right, and we also, there's like this made up virus right. in this world that needs to be cured. And he's ostensibly, you know, looking for, you know, he's a test for that. But you, there's that scene early on where he's uh, taking confession with this woman mm -hmm. and he's just like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> None of this matters. You know, he's like very dismissive to everything she has to say. Also, uh, she kind of scolds him in that scene, doesn't she? she yeah. sa he says something like, turn to science, get some antidepressants. And she's, depressants, and right, she's like, right. uh, worry about matters of the, of the spirit. Don't worry about matters of the earth or something. Right. I didn't come to a priest for that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Essentially. <laughs> Sun Kang Ho is so good at that, though. Yes. At, at the ennui. Yes. At the weight of the world being on but, it. But any other movie would, would over-explain, I think, why he chooses to take the virus, right? Right. And, and even just the idea of, yes, he's, he's presenting it as some act of nobility. This guy can't even really pretend that's what's going on here. What's, what's the virus called? Uh, the Emmanuel virus. Yes, yes. EV. EV. Um, which, I guess, like, makes you break out in weird... Hives like blisters, blisters, blisters yeah. yeah. You start puking blood. Yeah, um, not good. Not yeah. good. Bad. Um, th this is uh, I. Uh, you you already brought up what we do in the shadows. Um, it, this movie reminds me of that a lot in terms of how uh, obsessed it is with just the inconveniences of being a vampire. <laughs> right. You know, just like the petty existence of it. Right. Uh, True pain in the ass, especially if you're yes. a vampire who's not going to just like wantonly murder. Right. Yeah. Right. Because if he doesn't drink, then he will die because right. the EV will return. Yeah. Right. Right. The blood keeps it at bay, ostensibly. Mm -hmm. This is the sort of like pseudo scientific form of vampirism. Right. right. He also heals. That's the other thing. Yes. Because right. there's the whole thing where he's like cutting his wrist and then it heals up before he can right, get right, the blood. Right. He he can let the, the lead clergyman touch his heart inside his chest. Right. Um, yeah. Uh anyway, so okay. Catholic priest. Mm -hmm. Kind of whatever, on the outs with his job. Uh, kind of on the outs with life. On the outs with life. Yeah. Gets this injection, becomes somewhat of a miracle man. People want to spend time with him now because he survived the virus. Yes. And, uh, and he's already a priest, so people are like, you must be, you know, imbued with miracle powers or whatever. Which I think seems frustrating to him. 
you you get the sense he just was hoping he could die and be relieved of all this. And instead, it's like, not only do you have to keep living, but everyone now looks to you even more for guidance, for like for like magic. People want him to solve all the world's problems now. I love this early section where he's got like the invisible man look with his bandaged head and hands. Yes. That's what I thought, too. And just the tufts of hair poking out. I was going to say, uh, kind of going back to what his wishes were, there's that scene where he has come down with Evie and he's in his room. He's writing a letter. I don't even know who to, but saying like, oh, I have uh, the nicest hotel, like room in this hotel. It's because they said I was handsome and I have a nice tan. And in, and he like picks at his nail and it comes off and his boils all over his face and he's playing his flute and he just throws oh, up all over yes. his flute. Oh, yeah. The when blood it all starts out of the recorder. Out. Yes. Yeah. That is very, very good. Very yes. gross. Very inventive. It's great. It's just like he's really happy dying away. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think maybe, he is. yeah, kind of what he wants, I guess. Yeah. Um, you're watching this movie, I feel like. You got guys in robes, you got mm-hmm. priests, you got blood viruses. Sure. You're definitely not thinking like this is going to turn into like a whole, you know, love triangle no. sex murder thing, no. right? Like you, you don't see this being a romance. Vampire th- priest is already kind of. <laughs> It's, it's a lot. Movie. It's already yeah. thematically rich. It's right. like, you know, because the priest is the sign of chastity and spiritual, um, like, higher power. And yeah. then the vampire itself is a representation of all of the, of, you know, um, lust and uh, yes. temptation. Yeah, yeah. 100%. I mean, there, you know, there are much better studies done of sort of like the primal roots of all the classic monster archetypes. Mm-hmm. But vampires are like always about sex. Mm-hmm. They're always about sex and power and control. And the sexy other. Yes. Bad yes. boyfriend. Bad boyfriend. Bad boyfriends. I just true. think a lot of movies like Dracula yeah. are about like what if your daughter, whatever, you know, the lover, mm-hmm. wife had a bad boyfriend. Right. And a lot of movies like the Twilight Saga are about what if your daughter had the best boyfriend of all time. <laughs> because, but he was a good boyfriend because he was like, I can't fuck you. I'll kill yeah. you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> he's a good boyfriend who doesn't want to be a bad boyfriend. Exactly. Right. He's so, but he's so afraid of being a bad boyfriend. Right. Don't get near me. You the thing smell that makes crazy. him a, go- a good boyfriend is that he understands that he's evil. Mm-hmm. That is sort of the thesis of the Twilight movies. But like, it's Especially with Dracula, like the whole notion of like, come to my castle. Yeah. I'll make you dinner. Yes. I've got candles. Yeah. You know, all that. It's like, oh, you're going to say I've got candy because I thought that I've would be candy. better. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Trick or treat. <laughs> Sour Patch Kids plus the watermelon one. <laughs> oh, some people like those better. But not the fun size, the full bars. <laughs> it's a lot of nougat. Um, no, just, you know, like the, the way Dracula lays on airs and he's so yes, seductive, yes. of course. No, but know. that's all, Vampire Boy is about seduction and, and ceding control to someone else, someone having power over you, you know, and, and no longer having control of your own body yes. be it because of the other person or because of the effect it has on you, having these desires that you can't control and all that sort of stuff. And, you know. And then there's just the the very literal metaphor of bloodlust. Yes. Absolutely. Um, You cannot, you must have blood. Yeah. You cannot be controlled. You cannot be held accountable for your actions. But this is a guy who almost seems to have resentment that anyone uh, looks up to him, takes him seriously, turns to him for guidance, that he holds any power in the community, right? Right. He's basically just like, let me fucking die. Let me rot away. Is thrilled when he's dying. Hates when he gets better. And then I think seems almost most depressed in this era where everyone thinks he's a miracle man. 
Yes, before of course. he's really identified what's going on inside him internally, right, but suddenly he didn't just, even do anything. No, he just like didn't die. And now there are right. just more expectations placed on him, more responsibility placed on him. He wants to disappear and be invisible, invisible man. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is why I think he connects so uh, deeply and violently to. Um, Teju, who yes. is considered invisible in, within her own family and by right. her own uh, mother-in-law and by her own husband. Right. So when he he's making the rounds at hospitals, he runs into this one patient who it turns out is a childhood friend of his. Right. Who recognized him. Does he still have the bandages on at this point? Hmm. He does not. No, no, he doesn't. Okay. Um, and invites him over for their weekly Mahjong game he does with his mother, his wife, his friends. Mm-hmm. And very quickly, yes, I think he's drawn to her uh, as almost like that's that's maybe where he wants to be. Um, sure, yeah, yeah. He uh, seems like uncomfortable with the amount of power he has in his life, right? And there's a certain degree to which, like, she is someone he actually wants to help versus everyone else. He's like, "Fuck, right? <laughs> Don't talk to me." Well, so they're a family. Yeah, it's ostensibly sort of a warm environment. They're playing mahjong, right? Like, it's like it's a colorful in there kind of. Well, that's th- this environment as whole. But why right. he's so immediately kind of la- latched onto her mm-hmm. is like her life has like. Uh, an an order and a structure to it that is perhaps not what she would choose, but it's like she actually does have... um, Everyone just expects that he can do anything, can roam around, has kind of complete freedom and control in his life. And to a certain degree, I think he envies the fact that she is kind of kept. That she has no expectations for her. She has no expectations, and and she's just sort of resigned to what she is told to do around her. Because the the more leeway this guy's given, the more upset he seems, the more depressed he seems, the mm. more suicidal he seems. Right. He mm. likes, hey, I don't mean to speak ill of priests, yeah. but I do feel like you might crave order, sure. rules, a way to go about your day. Right. Someone telling you what to do. Yeah. Like, and, you know, being unable to stray outside. And priests never, obviously, stray outside of their rules or anything like that or never behave badly. No, never. But, but I just mean, like, you yes. know, the, the structure of religion, I think, can be comforting for people. Right? This seems like a guy who perhaps pursued theology looking for that order and control and purpose in his life and then got to the top of the mountain and kind of feels like, maybe I don't believe in any of this. This is not giving me any answers. There's an interesting line at the beginning of the movie where the blind priest tells him he told him to go to medical school, but then he pursued priesthood I, instead, I think, mm-hmm. which I think is an interesting character trait that they don't really follow up on, but I think also kind of uh, lends to his whole weird crisis that he's going through, too. Like, he wanted to be a man of medicine and maybe a man of the earth, but then he turned to be a man of the cloth instead, and then now he's kind of in that in-between, too. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. No, no, I think that's a good point. Yeah. Someone just sent me a real estate listing for a, a three-screen colonial theater in Maine. Who sent this to you? Some rando. What's, like a listener of the podcast? Yeah, Twitter, you know. Okay. Should we buy it? Well, that's a big question. Oh, that looks I, cool. Yeah, look cool. This looks great. It's in Maine? Yeah. Where in Maine? Belfast, Maine. Belfast. Yeah, I, I'd say Sounds like again, real Stephen King country, doesn't sure. it? Sure. Uh, what it costs is probably the big question there in terms of whether or not we should buy it. Uh, $1.3 million. I don't think we should buy it. No. Ah, yeah. Damn it. It Sorry. just looks so nice. It does. I agree. It's not close. Yeah. No. I can't <laughs> see it pretty being far. Convenient. You can summer there. Yeah. Yeah. You could summer there. Vacation land. Famous. Yeah. It's an eight hour drive from New York. 
You and I have talked about so this. So we could do like an 8 p.m. screening and be like, leave at lunchtime. Exactly. He'll be here in time for the movie. You and I have talked about that's like our one absurd rich person dream. Sure to own a theater yeah, and like do whatever you want theater. with it. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be pretty cool. Maybe just not in Belfast, man. They have a bus stop? A single bus stop? <laughs> they have one? How long's the bus ride? 10 hours? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah about 10, tw- 10, 12 hours. I think we're going to buy this theater. <laughs> You're going to buy the fucking... What's it called? Um, Great question. David, here's all I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. If I find out you bought this theater, I demand we crack open the books of blank check finances because if you, you suddenly might have the foot? liquidity to buy this fucking movie theater <laughs> for over a million dollars... What mm-hmm. would be the inaugural film that you would show at this theater? <sighs> Incredible question. And I don't know the answer. Um, Ponyo, probably... My favorite movies, right? Master sure. and Commander. What's the first movie you ever t- uh, covered on this podcast? Uh, <laughs> Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom, Phantom Menace. Menace. <laughs> so Heard it's it? going to be Star Wars An- Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Hey, Disney, I got a proposition for you. <laughs> yeah, it's you... called The Colonial. Okay. The original bit of the show is that we only covered The Phantom Menace, and we thought we were going to do that forever. So I think if we bought a theater, we'd have to just only play Phantom Menace for four months. And then be uh, like, never mind, we're actually going to branch out as a theater. We would actually make some money if we did that. We would. Anyway, uh, wow, it's really far up You'd there. go from showing only half-hour increments of The Phantom Menace mm-hmm. and then suddenly start showing like two-and-a-half-hour movies. Yes. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Yes. A, a great metaphor for a podcast length creep. <laughs> uh, David, you have to close this tab. I'm this closing is not, it. It's yeah. gone. Thirst. Let this dream die. No, I'm going to keep it open. though. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe someone can go in on it with me. I happen to have 0.3 million dollars flying around. Just need the one. Yeah. <laughs> need that big one. You got two left. Tim Simons is from Maine. Yeah. Well, you want to get? Hey David. Tim, have I got a, the two tallest men go into the movie business together? <laughs> we could call it Tall Boy Theater. Yeah, you should get Stephen Merkin Tall to invest Boy in Tall Boy Theater well. is good. Griff, and we could sell Tall legs. Boys in the lobby. I'm seeing here Maine won't let this me. This has got legs. Lessons. Sorry, I just got that. Tall Boy <laughs> Theater's got legs. <laughs> David, you know the old adage they say. Yeah. Don't fall in love with the first movie theater up for sale you look at. <laughs> yeah, right. The very, the, the, the very common adage. Yeah. The next day, like a triplex in Brooklyn, like yeah. four blocks from my house is for sale. Just put a movie theater like, alert. Shit, I'm moving to Belfast. Put a movie theater alert on Street Easy and see what shows up. Right, right, Zillow's right, been right. buying a lot of movie theaters, right? So this is like them. a we got a zoo situation. Bought a yeah. zoo, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Thirst. Thirst. So um, he meets... Teju. He goes to the the, the, the comely yes. wife yes. of Kang Wu, who um is a churchgoer and yeah. a childhood friend of his, I believe. Like they're they know each this. other. Yeah, exactly. The hospital doing the rounds. He's a right. childhood friend. Right. I, I you know what? I'm just even gonna simplify what I said about why he's so immediately drawn to her. I think he just immediately senses that she's sad. Right. And lonely and feels a little and ignored. angry. Yeah. Because yeah. the first time we meet her, she's rolling her eyes the entire time. Right. right. This person is similarly kind of like over everything. She's mm-hmm. sick of it all. They both I'm, have can I venture something syndrome else? out the ass. Yeah. She's also very pretty. She is. You have think you guys, that maybe has some have you guys seen the villainess? Um, I have not, no. which I know I know she's in Kim Akvin, is Kim that her Ak- name? Kim Akvin, yeah. She is incredible in the villainess. And the scene in Mission Impossible, ooh, which one? The one where Rebecca Ferguson is in the opera and shoots five. Uh, yes, uh, Rogue Mission Impossible Five, yeah. Rogue Nation. That scene is almost straight from the villainess. Interesting. Um, I remember the poster for the villainess because it was like she's like going like 
like she's got the gun pointed down and David it's sort of like pink and blue. Right yeah, David's doing, for the listener at home, a perfect impression of the poster for the villainess. <laughs> uh, but have never seen. She is a babe, mm-hmm. I will venture, as is Song Kang-ho in with his like emo floppy hair. I have to say, yes. having only watched Song Kang-ho in... Uh, Bong Joon-ho movies where sure. he kind of plays... Usually plays a buffoon. He, play, he usually plays the buffoon. He usually mm-hmm. plays the dope that is hiding secret layers of power right. or, you know, some some secret or hidden Right, you, you haven't know, really seen Song Kang-ho who fucks. Yeah. Right. And Park Chan-wook was like, he laid eyes on Song Kang-ho and was like, that is a sexy baby. Yeah, sexy right. baby, right. You're kind of like, mm, but also... Yeah. <laughs> this is the, the first... Uh, a Korean film to feature full frontal male nudity. This is the this first is the first Korean film. This basically. is the first, the first Korean first film with a, uh, penis. with a penis. With a penis on screen. And uh, it's in, obviously, it's not in an erotic context because it's when he's like stumbling out of the tent. It's the least erotic moment because I kept and waiting so... for, I have to be honest, I was sitting there going, because a lot of sex scenes in this movie. Yeah. And I was like, is he going to show the peen in this one? And he shows it kind of the worst moment. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's very vulnerable. I mean, that's the idea of it. When he's yes. trying to ruin his reputation. Right. Right. Which I feel like is usually how male nudity is because a flaccid penis is more funny than sexy often. Right. It's like a like, banana peel. Go on. <laughs> Prop comedy. So I feel like it is often when someone is sort of like humiliated or yes. kind of like whatever. No, it's you know, usually a, a punchline. Right. Yes. Um and uh, and yes, he is um uh JJ said he could not back this uh claim up because this claim is just kind of one of those things that the press repeats or whatever. Sure. And he says maybe we'll finally get together and make blank checks big book of on-screen penises. Circle back on that one JJ. Mm-hmm. That's our researcher. Yeah. Um but apparently yes, the first uh Korean film with full frontal male nudity um Park says uh, Sung Kang had no problem with that. Uh, he lost weight for the role. Uh, he had no hesitation about any of the raunchy sex scenes. He'll do whatever. You know, he's he's very um, gung-ho about all of it. It, it. There's that thing. I feel like very often, like, the biggest stars of non-American cinema, right? Uh, people talk about how brave they are. And I sure. think there's this feeling of just like, oh, you watch like Antonio Banderas in Al- Almodovar films, mm. or you watch like Song Han Ho, and you can't imagine like Brad Pitt doing these things on screen, right? Sure. You're like the ultimate A-list men are are sort of just anything for the art. There isn't that same sort of like commercial calculation of like, if I do this, the audience will turn against me. They won't follow me here. And I wonder sometimes how much of that is just which films get imported to us. Sure. You know, that, like, American critics say that, but it's like, well, you're only seeing their artier films. Sure. Or if it is just, like, in other countries, there there is a, a less, um, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't, well, uh, like, obviously, culture. Obviously, right. Europe, many European countries are yeah. less buttoned up about sex on screen. Uh-huh. That's not that unusual. Yeah. Um, but I do think of Korea as, you know, a society with some, like... Yeah. It's fairly socially conservative, as far as I know. Right. Um, so it is interesting to me that, like, there are... But I feel like, I think you're kind of... Like, we kind of get our... We're getting a lot of the sexy art house Korean movies uh, over here uh, from these sort of major auteurs who can take bigger risks or whatever. Right, right. Like I don't know. I guess I'm going to have to watch every movie from every country to to, to make a big list. So Kim Ok-vin, this is her breakthrough performance. Mm-hmm. Um, she, according to director Park, uh, has big hands. Okay. 
Uh, she's a very famous dancer. She's got a lot of muscle tone in her legs. He keeps talking about how like sort of physically imposing she is, uh, which is why uh, he wanted to cast her because she was going to turn into this sort of like strong sort of monster. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but he also liked the idea that this character cannot bear the frustrations of her daily life and feels trapped. So every night she sneaks out and like runs. And that's yeah. why she's got such great muscle tone. This is something he thought about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, basically, in pretty short order, uh, they they make good on their chemistry, on their attraction. Sure, they sleep together. Her he, husband's also a dink. Let's be honest, he's, he's a, a dink, dink, right? He's a real dink. Yeah, he's he's you know he's I don't a know. real uh, wet blanket, you might say. Right, right. Jason Clark type. One could almost argue. Um, and uh, you know, uh, right. So he's he's not much of an impediment, and yeah, suddenly they're 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 bo- they're boning. Right. I have to say, I really love uh, more so even than some of their sex scenes. The scene where um, Song Kang Ho's Sang Hyun finds her running through the streets, mm-hmm. and uh, this is after he's just turned vampire. He flies, I think, towards her and like lifts her up, takes off his shoes, and puts her in his shoes. Right, and it's such a weirdly wholesome and warm uh, action, and one that you know is very protective. And she's kind of shocked at. But um, I, I find that one to be more, um, I don't know, like a, a, a spark of a connect of connection between the two of them than right. even some of their sex scenes. And the sex scenes are very hot. They're very mm-hmm. physical. Like there's the one, you know, in the hospital bed. There's the one where she's sort of on top of him and is it, there's like there's like linens all around them. Where like I they're, where the, they... they're the, in the handbox shop. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and like. I feel like the f- sex is also kind of front-loaded in their relationship. Like, there's a lot of it early on, and then they're dealing Honeymoon with, like, we'll yeah. like, okay, well, what do we do about fucking your husband now? Yeah. But, but I think you're right. You get a greater sense of, like, actual kind of selfless compassion and how he treats her in the little moments like that than you see in any of the moments where he's actually supposed to be someone helping people. Mm-hmm. And people are acting like he is. He yes. is also breaking the rules. He's a priest. Yes. So he's not allowed to do that. No. Not even forgetting that she's married or whatever. He can't have any sex. He can't have the sexy times. He He can't have the sexy times. It's banned. Um, The effects in this movie are so fucking good. Very seamless. This is the reason I kept thinking about Twilight. Because we did all the Twilight movies on Patreon. And those run from 2008 to 2012. Uh, Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's basically Uh, this exact same time. But the first one's 2008. That one has the quote-unquote smaller budget, but still cost a lot more than this movie did. Right. You're saying that the Twilight movies have a lot of people going like, I'm D- doing David the running. You're <laughs> like running in the air. And it looks like junk. Look, And I, this movie has seamless like wire work and really cool visual effects. I think we effects. watched those movies and, and both of us came around to liking them on, on the whole. I enjoy basically every Twilight movie. The third one I find to be a bit boring. The first That's Twilight movie, Kristen Stewart and Pat Robert Pattinson's choices are actually inspired because my they, completely agree with you. they yes. realize that these two are just two extreme weirdos yeah. and they're weirdos together. Right. Yes, I agree. 100%. And then I think I think the problem with the franchise as it goes on is they both get flattened out by like the thing becomes too big and they're like, you guys have to be more normal 
Pattinson, the first one, is incredible. He's incredible. And after the first one, he just seems like he wants Checked to Checked out. And right. then Stewart's thing is so much more she's, subtle that she's able to hold on to more of it. Well, but, she also has more to play. Like, in the yeah. third one, she's got the love triangle. In the fourth one, she's pregnant. In the fifth one, yeah. I can't remember what's but happening. Both she's got the baby. Renesmee! <laughs> kind of suffocated by the series where <laughs> their acting baby. style goes out of eight. Yeah. The most normal-looking baby of all time. Um but but watching those movies, I think the complaint we kept on having is like every single one of those films and the budget is like going up 25 percent on each of those movies. Sure. They constantly keep on redefining the visual language of what their powers right. look like and seemingly the approach to the effects. And they basically never work. And in each never of the movies, they're like, here's what jumping looks like. Here's what it looks like when they go fast. Here's what their senses look like. And you're just watching like seven different attempts mm -hmm. at all of these styles of uh, powers that never fit. And in this movie, every time nails it on the first try. And it is one of those things where you're just like, he must have just been so deliberate because there are complicated shots, you know, and they're seamless. As you said, like a lot of them require like insane wire work. There's shit like him vomiting blood that's like a hard effect to fake. Yeah. You know, and just the mix of like the digital and the practical, it just feels like very organic in this movie. You actually buy that this is happening in a real tangible world. Um, and, and what we do in the shadows was the one I thought of where I feel like similarly that movie has much more impressive vampire effects than most big budget vampire movies. Like the wire work is better, more organic. I don't know. I, I was just, I was every little moment. There's the moment where he lifts up the mother-in-law in the chair and takes her down the hallway yes. and it is done so offhandedly. He's so good at that kind of. I think just just thinking too, Making just it like part the visual of the world. thinking. Yeah, yeah. yes, 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 absolutely. Like, like it never feels like we're entering a fantasy world. How, even when how like to toss off those shots so they feel just like stolen moments? Things. Right. right. Yes. Yeah. One thing I found really interesting about the powers and the depiction of the powers here, especially him like learning them and uh, giving and sort of showing them off to Teju, mm -hmm. uh, it is framed a little bit like a superhero movie. Yeah. And especially in when he first wakes up, he has all the vampire powers. He suddenly can hear, feel everything. He sees someone chopping green onions uh, like two floors down. He hears people talking. He, he sees things on his skin. And then, and it feels very much like Raimi Spider-Man in that sense. And then when he first shows Teju that he's a vampire and he picks her up and starts leaping through the rooftops, it feels almost like exciting and inspiring in a way that a Christopher Reeve Superman movie or yeah. Smallville will feel it's it's interesting the way that it feels it's almost it's almost like it feels like a different movie it just is like this this windswept romance and it's framed like that sort of superhero sequences well and I agree with you that 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 first awakening moment is very Raimi Spider-Man but then he avoids doing the montage of testing out his powers learning everything he does so that when later in the movie he does something like leap or lift something or whatever you're kind of surprised at the reveal of like oh right he can do this mm. they haven't like he doesn't do it all the time yes it right. is and he and sometimes he's just a bit of a fusser he doesn't project all-powerful vampire sometimes. You know what I mean? No, oh, because it also doesn't make him very happy. Look. He's not carrying himself with some renewed sense of vim and vigor. The man's in search of an answer. Yeah. He tries to kill himself with a virus. He tries to, you know, uh, fall in love with a married woman. He kills a man. Like, yeah. these are all... He's looking for answers that he's never going to get. When he realizes he's a vampire, he tries to kill himself again. That's true. Yeah. Like, I just feel like he's always like, maybe this will be it. When and does I, he like, do that? Doesn't that happen when he wakes up? Am I wrong about this? 
I'm trying to find what's going Is it when he jumps out of the window? That's what I took it as him not knowing that he would Got it. survive himself. Okay. You know, he's like hitting himself. Right. A lot of that stuff felt like well, him. He's the hitting himself, I felt, I saw, I read more as like part like of this Catholic, Catholic upbringing. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's uh, self But then it goes away. And, yeah, right. self-flagellation. Flugulation? Flugulation. Yeah, he's doing, he's got a flugelhorn and he's hitting himself. <laughs> that's right. He does uh-huh. have a flute slash recorder. Yeah. So. <laughs> blood recorder. The blood recorder thing is so gross. The yeah. thing with the the like mouth pincers <laughs> that they keep doing, you know, oh, the, yeah. oh, it's is so also cool. a very, yeah, very it's, cool, very gross idea. It's something that you're like, why would they do that? But at the same time, it looks so cool and it's so disturbing that you're like, you know what? It's just part of the whole texture of the movie. Which he is so good at. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, yeah, he jumps out the window, lands on the car. Yeah. Okay. He's like, dunk. Right. And then he's like, I guess I'm still alive. Right. That wasn't him testing his powers. Right. That was him hoping he was ending it. Mm. That's what I viewed it as like it's a Groundhog Day thing of like he's doing things that accidentally reveal to right. him that he's invincible. And then right after that is when he puts her in his shoes. Right. And then they. But let's say he, he basically confesses he's a vampire to only two people. One is his superior. Right. And he's just like, I'm a fucking monster. I hate Priest this. Yes. Literally opens his heart up to him. Right. And like makes him put his hand in his chest to feel his weird vampire heart. And Priest Rose's response is like, well, I'm here to help you out. Which is not what he wants, right? Like he wants to be damned. Yeah. Right. He's like, drink my blood and also make me a vampire. Right. Right. Like he, he immediately offers up his own blood of like, I'm here to serve you. Mm-hmm. Right. And then clearly the end goal is I would love to regain my vision. I want your power. Yeah, he wants to see the world before he dies. Right. Yeah. Um, and then when he when he admits when he reveals that he's a vampire to her, she's immediately freaked out. Yes. I, I do think of the one reason, yeah, he's just disgusted that like he's like, what are these rules if if like if I am saying to my my superior I right. am a vampire and he's not like, well, you are an offense to God. Yeah. Then why have I been doing any of this shit? Like, what you know, what what are we talking about? Of here? course, but I was like, I'm I, a monster. Right. Tell me I'm a monster. He became a man of the cloth to find answers. You get the sense he fe- went, I, I don't think there are any fucking answers. And the fact that people look to him as if he knows anything makes him feel like a bullshit artist, right? Right. He knows now one thing demonstrably, which is I am a monster. <laughs> I am actually a vampire. He's a monster. And everyone around him is like, what if being a vampire is good? And he's like, no, hate me. Now, obviously, Chase me out of this town. They have lots of hot sex. Uh-huh. And then she sort of like tells him that she her husband is abusing her. Yes. And that he is ostensibly why he's right, you know, yeah. helping her kill. Right. But it's because he sees the bruises. Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, so would you um do 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 boat murder? Would you do it? No. No, you're out on the boat murder? No, and I, I swear to God, I'm not just virtue signaling here. I think I think boat murder is maybe one of the last types of murder I would commit. Mm. What's the go... first type of murder you commit? That's a great question. Let me think on that. Ben? I'm going to go ahead and say I wouldn't even fish. Not oh, interested. you wouldn't even just, like, do it for any... Yeah. Well, I wouldn't for even recreation. be tempted right, to right. commit boat murder because I would say no to the fishing. Right. Would you do boat oh, murder? Right. Well, I think I would say no to the fishing at 9 p.m. Because yeah, <laughs> that's, it's a little weird. Yeah. Yeah. Night fishing. Night fishing. Would I do boat murder? No, I think I would be more likely to fall underwater than anything, even if I did have vampire powers. Maybe my answer is kill him with kindness. Maybe that's what I would do. <laughs> It'd just be so nice. Yeah. Um, okay, so the sex, par- Director Park says... Mm-hmm. It's very important. The minute he's doing this, he's stepping over a line he can't, you know, he shouldn't have crossed. Sure. It's the moral downfall of the priest. For her, it's liberation. Yeah. You know, she's free from this marriage. So I didn't just want them to have sex. Mm -hmm. I wanted 
all these like complex facial expressions. Like I wanted to choreograph every moment of the sex mm-hmm. to make it like feel very, very powerful. Like that both of them are like sort of crossing these lines. There's this sort uh, of hand bra thing succeeded. too. She talks about she how much the hand bra. Right. She basically says like, I'm and not shy. Yes. Right, right. While refusing to show herself after she's taken her clothes off. Right. Yeah. It just um, feels like the whole thing is so gnarled and twisted in their own She's trying to refute her whole sort of passive uh, image that she that everyone has of her. Yeah. Right. Is this like chase mm-hmm. sort of yeah. um, like a friendly wife. Like mousy woman. Mm-hmm. Right. Because she also tells him that she's basically a virgin. Mm-hmm. I guess this guy is, yeah, he's not, I don't know, not doing much. No. In uh, Therese Raquin, I will say, um, he's an invalid. So, and she is raised alongside him. So she's raised like in, an invalid, even though she herself is actually quite strong and hardy. Mm. So she has a resentment against that because she's like, she's like, I was trapped in all of these dank, dark rooms with him all the time. I couldn't go outside because he couldn't go outside. He wouldn't take his medicine. So I had to take it alongside him. Right. So she became a hypochondriac like because of him. They're like together. He, yeah. I, I was, this is um, Shin Hakyun. He's the, he plays Ryu in Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, uh-huh. the, the mute uh, lead character there, yes. and he's in Joint Security Area, uh, another f- uh, frequent p- Park collaborator. The um, he's a uh, Park is like inveterate uh, storyboarder, right? Mm-hmm. Like loves his previs, love, mm-hmm. loves right. All his shots are so complicated. He says the first things he storyboards are sex scenes because he knows they're going to be the most complicated thing, and then he'll take them to the actress, yeah, and he'll be like, "All right, so you know, this shot's going to have left nipple, this shot's yeah. going to have butt. Like, you know, he takes them through the entire uh, sort of uh, choreography of it. I do think this one wasn't exactly controversial, but it was pretty, you know, lurid for Korea. Yeah. It's pretty lurid for anybody. Mm-hmm. By the way, so it's 2009. They filmed this in 2008 or whatever? Sure. What you're describing with, like, his approach to storyboarding. That's what they do now, right? That's, like, basically the main function of an intimacy right. coordinator, not to literally like draw every, the storyboards. Like, every, like, move of the sex right, scene. But I, right, but yeah. you just read every fucking actor over the age of 65 complain about the fact that, like, you know, that they've made all these sex scenes formal. You can't do anything as an actor anymore. And basically, it's just, like, treat it like it's an action sequence. Right. It's, like, stunt photography. It's choreography. You, right. You need to, like, just 100%. communicate this clearly. Yeah. That's the, what it the sex scenes that the, the scene the most disastrous is where they were just like, all right, get in the bed. We're yeah. just going to try a bunch of stuff. Right. right. Disastrous, yeah. look, interpersonally for the people on set, but also like all the best sex scenes in film history that people talk about oh, were, super, super were done in this yes. way with um, intentionality and communication. He thought about doing this in black and white because okay. he thought it would be too gory for mm-hmm. color, essentially. Oh, interesting. And then he decided, no. Let's go the other way. Make the blood look like wine, which I feel like it really does. It's very like dark red. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know he uh, basically says it's like it's the most blood he's ever had in a movie. Mm-hmm. This film's got a lot of blood. I like that he was worried about how much blood there would be when there is a scene where after you know they commit the murder and they paint the house white. Yeah. Just right. To- for some reason, for for reasons, and then that just is—I feel like it's for the express purpose of whenever there's blood spatter, just to make it look cooler. Because it just looks insane anytime they're in that white room. He has the the tiling on the floor is like these long diagonal strips at sort of like odd angles, and they're so fine that you don't really see them until the blood lands, and then it creates this weird pattern on the floor right. where it falls into the crevices and what have you. This movie's cool. I'm just sort of watching yeah. it right now. Anyway, <laughs> all right. So, yeah. Um, 
They kill her husband yes. um, after, as their affair progresses. Uh, they drown him, mm-hmm. and they um, put his body in a cabinet, right? Right. Put it at the bottom. Put it. Put a rock in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Can we talk fashioned. about the detail of Please? there is a village underneath the water, and he has to put him into a closet and put a, a rock on top mm-hmm. of the closet? Mm-hmm. Is that, death, a, death that by not seem normal to you? Yeah. A yeah. uh, very normal way to die or kill mm-hmm. someone. Yeah. Um, and this is this is in the lake, the body of water. In the lake, yeah. There's like a drowned city. Okay, yeah. I feel like the not... remnants of a yeah. Sure. Okay, that makes so much more sense. I yeah. could not figure out what was going on there. And I... Is that from the book, or is that just like some that's wild just, sort of flight of fancy? That's some wild flight of fancy. I don't know if it's something that um, he imagines, like his character imagines, and right. he just this is just like a, a mental thing that mm-hmm. he has to put him in this closet, and he doesn't know if he's actually going to come out or something, or right. if it's just that, uh, you know, if it's actually real. But I like that detail, and it's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it also, look, a better alibi, right? Mm-hmm. If they find a dead body, and it's just in the middle a body of water with nothing there. You're like, why would he be hanging out here? But you're like, no, this was like a living room. Right. It's so a he, closet. Maybe he came here to do some closet. work. Right. Yeah. Um, but like right after that, you've got like, they're trying to have sex. When he's touching her, he's like, why are you so wet? Why is the bed damp? Like, yeah. you know, like. I love the detail too that it's a water bed. <laughs> yes. Like yes. Uh, that they're suddenly feeling dampness everywhere. Yeah. And then just the most incredible shot that anyone has maybe ever done uh-huh. of her naked then they're the the husband <laughs> wet, yeah. sort of snotty, uh-huh. with like the most ridiculous expression on his face. I don't know what, what a little stinker expression. Sure. And then Song Kang Ho naked on top of him, like thrusting madly, while you know the husband's just like, <laughs> and he's like, holding on to the like Chip and Dale, and, and he's, he's holding, holding on to the, the rock that like that he was weighed yeah. down with, and he's also bloated from the water too, and just like yeah, grinning goofily. It's great. It's that much creepier that he doesn't come back to haunt. Their nightmares being like, you killed me. <gasps> right. Like, he's not a right. Jacob Marley ghost. He's like, by all means, go ahead. He's like, I've always <laughs> wanted to have a thruple. Yeah. <laughs> I've always wanted to watch. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. While it's, sweat. I don't, I just can't imagine another director mm. thinking of that and then yes. having the audacity to actually try and pull it off. It's very, it's a great laugh moment. Yeah. But it's also such a creepy, indelible image. When did you first see Thirst? Not to ask that in an aggressive way, because I saw this in theaters. I think this I is certainly did. the first yeah. film I saw in a yeah. theater, I think. Yeah, because I saw Old Boy in theater. I think I saw this in theaters, yeah. Uh, and I just remembered, like, you know, laughing. The whole audience yes. sort of going ballistic. Yeah. It's also, the sight of it. you know, uh, I, the, the older I get, uh, the more movies I watch, the more impressed I am by anyone who is able to like handle two or three tones at the same time. Right. Not just switch tones within a movie, but like uh, be able to maintain multiple feelings within a single sequence or shot, which he does. You're like the comedy should play against the horror. One should, should uh, I don't know. Right. The um, flexibility of genre yeah. within this, just a single scene is so yes. impressive. Yes. Uh, okay, so what else? We haven't um, talked about the mom very much. Yeah. Yeah, so she's sort of a domineering mom, right? Sort before of. before she's the stroke. <laughs> extremely domineering. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, she's she a, owns um some sort of bespoke clothing store. It's a henbox store, from okay. what I saw. Yeah. So they sell and make customized henbox, I think. 
that's the um, traditional Korean um, sort of gown. You wear it for like a wedding photo, right? Like yes. I feel like I've seen Korean couples I know where you do the yeah. You, you wear do it the for a wedding the, photo, right. um, other rites, um, and you know ritual occasions, that kind of thing. I have to note I'm not Korean, no, so sure. I'm just saying from what I know of of Korean culture. But yes, that's exactly what you wear it for. Usually weddings. And like the guy has like a sort of there's sort of you know, guy the, the the male version is sort of these cool robes. Okay, know, it always looks very impressive. Um, we just uh, uh moved past this, but you were talking about how in the in the book the husband is an invalid. Mm-hmm. There is of course the thing that they. You know, the connection point happens in the hospital, right? Mm. And then after Song Kang-ho, like, enters their life, there is this period where he seems to be better. Or it almost feels like it's a psychosomatic effect of feeling like this miracle man blessed him. And then very quickly, his health starts getting worse again. Mm -hmm. And so much of her, I don't know, we we find out very shortly that uh, he never abused her. He never laid a hand on her. That this was all a fix. Yes. Right? She just wanted out. She mm-hmm. wanted out. She didn't want to be with her dumb husband. Right. And it does feel she like... She wanted to be with Song Kang-ho. Her mm-hmm. life was very constrained by living with his mother uh, under the sense of control with a person who was very limited in what he could do. Mm-hmm. She had this brief window of, like, maybe he's going to be able to be an active member of society again outside of these four walls. And then when that's taken from her again, it feels like she's just done. She's trapped again. Right. Right. right, she can't go back. And she is immediately back to emo mode. No yes. offense to her. She's allowed. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I guess some offense. She did kill her husband. Yeah, that that part is offensive. Whatever. Um, and so, um, you know, uh, on this revelation, he eventually uh, kills her mm-hmm. uh, by snapping her neck. Which, why didn't he fucking snap Well, she neck? begs him. She's like, yeah. let me be with my husband again. She's suddenly racked with guilt. But he uh, doesn't want to let that happen and so he turns her into a vampire in a very gross scene yeah i mean the only thing that's more uh depressing to him he he hates being alive and he's terrified at the notion of actually being dead right Right. he hates Uh, being alive but he hates being alone and and alive worse that's the worst possible scenario for him um i just just the i feel like the image of him like cutting his wrist trying to get the blood into him yeah yeah exactly that's how i feel about it and like fails he's like ah god damn it you know and he has to do it again right now i'm grimacing which is very nasty (laughs) Uh uh-huh yeah uh it's very clever like i like it as a world buildy vampire you know your take on a vampire uh because of course that is classic vampire right that's how you sire another vampire yes but there's a lot of sucking between right a lot of sucking right and she's she's dying fast you got a limited window right yeah. Um, so she's up as a vampire and as in so many vampire stories and it is one of my favorite things in vampires when you make a vampire and you'll be like you're like you'll be like me right and you're like no yeah, I'm different than you she's psychotic I was different than you alive yeah like why am why are you surprised that I am now also different than you as like a immortal super powered thing yes so I'm a, she's I'm, crazy she's I'm attacking this with gusto I have no sort of uh... I could have told him that's what's gonna happen yeah yeah you know she's emo like him, but in a yeah much more rebellious. Well, way. She takes action. She fucking talks someone into murdering her husband. She's right. not going to be like a like a dilettante vampire. Yeah, she yeah. has been w- waiting for this freedom her entire life, and yes. now that she does, she finally has it. She's going to go nuts and power. Right. She can do whatever the fuck she wants mm-hmm. now. Yes. Yeah. Um. It's uh. She's a very cool hot vampire, 
And I do think the bad vampires are the best. Yeah. I love the mm-hmm. I'm a monster, oh, woe is me vampires, but I really like the Kim Okbin's just wide, leery grin throughout this entire la- like last third of the movie. She's so good. She's so, so creepy. She's, she's so grinning the entire time and yeah. just gleefully laughing away. She's so fun to watch. Um, another, of course, uh, vampire property at this time is True Blood. Right, oh, right sure. at the same time? Yes. Right. More sexy vampires. More right. sexy vampires. Right. More very much like, right, the whole the, the sex metaphor is brought like all the way to the front. Yeah. And uh, Deborah Ann Wool character. And Deborah Ann Wool's character is that. Okay. Where, uh, what's his pants? Stephen Moyer. Okay. What was his name? Stephen Moyer? Yeah, I know. I'm trying to remember. Russell. Eric. Eric. No, Eric was Skarsgård, I think. I can't remember. No, wasn't he? I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, has to make her a vampire for some reason. I can't remember why. But it's like a punishment or something. Uh, and she's like this retiring little church girl. She was, quote, unquote, the nice girl. Right. And then okay. the second she's a vampire, she's like, this rocks. Yeah. I'm going to go fuck shit up. And he has to be like, no, you have to do what I say. You're right. He's Bill. No, yeah, he's Bill. 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 Eric. Yeah. Eric is Alex. Uh, is Skarsgård. Yes. Skarsgård is yeah. Eric. Yes. Um, but uh, Bill was always going, so okay. That's what I remember. So okay. well, that show was about Bill the sexy vampire. <laughs> Bill. Yeah. Um, but bringing back to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, mm-hmm. there's the whole concept of uh, a vampire with a soul. Right. And then when Angel, who is the one vampire with the soul, loses his soul, he becomes that monstrous, mm-hmm. just an- psychotic. An- yeah, mm-hmm. angelus. He loves that violence. He, he's a sadist, all that stuff. So there's that whole and sort of And he becomes a monster duality. by taking her virginity. Yeah. It's all, mm-hmm. it's all going on. When he experiences his perfect happiness. Exactly. Mm. And then Spike gets a soul. Did you ever watch Buffy? You were really a did. Buffy kid, right? No, it feels uh, not like a great time to start watching. It's yeah, not a great it time, on. but you know yeah. what? It can be like, this is separate from no, the creators. A lot of people work on things. Yeah, but oh, it does sure, feel yes. like, I, it's one of those shows I always meant to watch, and then the more things I heard about Joss Whedon, I was like, do I really want to Buff- jump into this? Buffy. I, I grew up with Buffy. Buffy's very certainly. You know, Buffy, for, I've been looking for you. Along with the X-Files, you know, the first show to basically have comic book storytelling. And, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. eventually that took over all media. But it was very exciting at the time. Yeah. Um, I've seen isolated sort of like, episodes you know, that I loved. Uh, yeah, it's got great yeah. episodes. The great combo of serialized and teen soap. Exactly. Just the, the right. There's sort of two tracks of like sometimes we're going to be like a sci-fi serial show and sometimes we're going to be. You know, more of a fun team. That's so a thing. Monster we of the week. Really fucking lost with streaming well, is the like, we have so many episodes to fill that we have a couple different. That's the types thing, right? When you had twenty-two episodes. You could you could switch off. You could be like, this will be a fun one, right? You got like a lot more experimentation with form when people had to figure out how to not be repetitive. I mean, High Train yeah. was just telling me about well, fuck. I already forgot the name of the show. What's it called? The show, the Tom Holland show. Oh, the crowded room. And like, apparently, they don't have the twist till episode seven or something. It's I'm, episode seven. It's so, um, I'm not going to talk about the show because it annoyed me so much. What, what is the show? It's even? the one with Tom Holland on. He's, Doing what? He. Yeah, there's some scenes and dancing. I can't spoil <laughs> it. You can't spoil it, even though the twist is, is so late. There's a spoiler embargo for episode seven. So basically, you cannot reveal what the premise of the show is because it does not reveal itself until it's, a crowded room. Exactly, crowded it's the premise of the show. It's based off a true story of which you can't reveal what the true. Now you can Google the true story and then make some inferences. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it will have come out by this point. I will say, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, uh, but anyway, that's yes. We all agreed serialized TV was better in the nineties. Yeah, sure. Bring back episodic TV. Yes, Bring let let TV shows be TV shows again. <sighs> will they though? 
I don't know. It's all broken. Is um, it even TV though anymore? Streaming shows? Is that what should we call? Well, this them? is the question. I mean, contractually, all these things are written up as if they're web screen series. shows. Screen shows. Yeah, it's on a screen. Yeah, mm. series. Do you like that? No. The mm. boob tube. Yeah, I like that. Let's bring them back. Yeah. Gonna watch another the boob tube. Another tube. Yeah, another boob tube. Okay. She's a crazy vampire. Okay. They have the big fight in the rooftops. Yes. They're jumping around. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at some point soon after is where you sort of have the scene where through eyes alone, she sort of starts, the, the mom starts to communicate what has happened because she knows everything. Well, the mom, right. Eyes we should mention. And nails. Yes. Yes. Pointing, uh, sort of. The sequence where she asked to be killed and then he cannot let it happen and converts her all happens while the mother-in-law is lying on the ground watching them yes. frozen post-stroke. And then there's the scene where the friends come over for Mahjong. And are all like, oh, I'm sure your husband will show up at some point. It's a tragedy. Who knows? We'll get an answer at some point. Right. He's just missing. Right. right. But just like aggressively unsuspicious. Right. Right. And and the mother-in-law, who up until this moment has seemed completely just kind of like, I think to their mind, she she's got nothing going. They on. think right. she's almost vegetative. Right. Right. And then she starts, as you said, like she she gets one of her fingernails off so she can write in blood on the arm of the chair. She teaches them how to, like, uh, read her communication through length of blinks and stuff like that and starts spelling it out to them, which is an incredible sequence. I love the fact that her nails are already so gross yes. and falling off nasty. at that point. Like, it, it's something that even Teju and uh, Seng, who have not noticed at that point, they're like, what happened to your nail? And she's been working at it to try to write in blood exactly what's been happening. Yes. So she has a mission. So she tips a couple uh, people off, and so then they have to die. <laughs> I I love movies where it turns out everyone's going to have to die. You know yeah. what I mean? Where, like, you're in so, you're in so deep, yes, and then someone else walks in and control. sees you yeah. doing something, and you're like, but they're just like, simple they start dra- like yeah. drawing right. curtains, like, oh, boy. Here we go. we're going to have to do this murder. Her with the handsaw coming up the stairs. You know, she's got yeah. the big saw. She's pretty happy about it. She's yeah, pretty she happy for a massacre. It. Like She's as looking soon as, for an excuse. She calls yeah. herself like a out. human-eating monster at yeah. one point. Like the first thing when he, when the, uh, I think the cop runs out and she just breaks his neck with his with her arm. And she's like, yep. Just all in a day's work. She's excited about it. Yet she keeps the third guy alive, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. The guy that she was also having an affair with. Yeah, she is randomly having him. There's that scene where they're having the worst sex. She's just like sitting on top of him, not looking at him. Mm -hmm. And then just kind of gets up and is like, I'm going. Like that, that, yes, there's this sort of sub affair happening. Um, Who is that guy? He's just a guy. He's just a guy. Neighbor guy. Mahjong friend. Right. Um, And then so after all of that murder, is um is the camping right? Is the is like him him leading her away basically, right? Yes. Yeah. This yeah. Is, yeah, this yeah, yeah, is yeah. this but, is the end. Right. Yeah, yeah. This is peak. Just I I want to be caught. I want people to destroy me. Right. Right. He basically frames himself for sexual assault that he did not commit. Right. Uh, at a campsite of people he knows uh, adore him, uh, deify him. Right. Uh, just to create a a paper trail, basically, of this guy sucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and he, yeah, does get his dick out just to make sure people think he's a real loser. Right. Uh, so why do you think he's so intent on leaving his legacy like that? Because he's already had that um, wanting to sort of shed that and be left alone and not have to deal with people who idolize him. But why does he want to leave with— Make sure he dies that way, too. Yeah, make sure he dies that way. He possibly— 
disgusted with himself, uh, his sort of you know extreme betrayal of his original principles, whatever they were. Yeah, and I th- I think I think it's a, a a heightening of how he feels at the beginning of the movie, which is just like I feel like a phony that people look to me like I have any answers, and I my genuine belief is that it's all bullshit, mm. and that heightens over the course of the movie to him doing a lot of bad things. Right. The last thing he wants is to be uh, deified in his death. He's been a monster in hiding this whole time, so now he wants to bring the monster out. Yeah, right, because even when he did become a monster, no one turned Everyone's against. like, you're still great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What a cool guy you are. And the right. one person that he revealed it to was like, cool, I'll become a monster too. I, yes. can, I can has powers. <laughs> right. But I, I think it's like not even a very strategic thing. It is that like people so overwhelmed with guilt that they do something stupid because they want to get caught. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, why does Robert Durr steal the fucking sandwich? No, why does OJ not, do the jersey heist? That not normal. <laughs> you think no. this man's normal? No, he's not too normal. He's a vampire. I think he's better than OJ and Robert Durr. I agree. He's number three. <laughs> um... And, uh, yeah, and then you just have this incredible final sequence of them in this car, mm-hmm. uh, out in the beach, in the middle, you know, unable to get, unable to outrun the sun. Yes. It's I've taken us to a place where it's, the sun's about to rise and we just can't get away from it, like, mm-hmm. even if we ran. I like how extended the sequence is and, and also how funny it is. In the car. It's, it's so basically funny. a big, like... Just set up of gag after gag of her trying to hide from the sun and him uh, just just demolishing that hope in some way or another. And she'll like grab a bit off of the car and like hit him and like all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Such a uh, she'll hide in the trunk. He'll throw the trunk's uh, uh, car like hood, hood thing. away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then she'll try to like find the hood again and she'll just throw it into the ocean. <laughs> and then they're finally like, okay. Yeah. And they sit on the thing and she says together in hell and he's like. There's no, like, that's right. it. We're There's not, nothing. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're not going anywhere. Mother-in-law just trapped in the backseat. Yeah. They're far away. I mean, it's going to take a long time probably for anyone to find her. Like, th- that's sort of the darkest element of this. It's is true. She like, may well she's die. She's probably just going to starve to death. I mean, I guess maybe someone will come out for a stroll. She, like he gave her the phone before he, like, sure. they committed suicide. He put it in her hand. So he's like, yeah, all right, that's up to you now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, good luck. Uh, obviously, it's very intense them burning up, mm-hmm. but then there is the kind of the jokiness of like their little ashy little legs, and then the shoes fall off. Uh-huh. It's, it's it's just it's, sort of funny. It's funny, but it's also kind of sweet because yeah. it brings it back to that first the shoes. Scene you're right. With the shoes. You're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, but there's also just them looking out of like an ocean of blood. Right. That's it's my very favorite part. Cool. He starts like hallucinating in that moment and just imagines the entire ocean as blood with dolphins swimming through the blood and everything. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. Is the whole movie and the ending actually a metaphor for Park Chan Wook's uh, own atheism? <laughs> like going from Catholicism to atheism? I think so. I, I, think I mean, probably, right, like, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, it's so few of them. Right. Like, yeah. be like. I mean, he talks about it so clinically when he's interviewed. He yeah. may just be trying to not s- sort of come off offensively or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's just like, you know, one day I just decided as a teenager I'm not religious. Yeah. And that's fine. But, like, yeah, I mean, the loss of faith can be, like, this very, like, profound, upsetting notion, right? You have this sort of, you know, idea of, like, oh, I'm going to go somewhere when I die or, oh, you know. It's like, also you know, come up a lot in directors we've covered. A yeah, lot of whom so many directors following some path. As of, teens, someone right. was like, "You'd be a good priest." And and I do think it's it's often you hear like, "Oh, the, this film became their new belief system." Mm. At the moment where they suddenly felt there is no meaning to any of this, 
what they would rather do is uh, uh, use fake stories to communicate their thoughts rather than stand in front of anyone and claim that they are telling the truth. But it does, you know, the novel obviously is working off of those sort of Victorian novels and like so many film noirs where it is like fuck around and find out, right? Yeah. So it's just like, look, it's fun. It's crazy what you do. It's mm-hmm. liberating. But then at the end of the day, you are going to probably die. I but, like yeah. I like categorizing a whole genre as fuck around and find out. Yeah. In the Wikipedia, they say it's the it's one of the first examples of naturalism. But fuck around, find out is much better, I think. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, yeah. If, I, if I ever met Emil Zola, I'd be like, oh, you kind of invented fucking around and finding out. <laughs> How do you feel about that? Um, right? Because like, you know. Yeah. It's. It's not like, quote unquote, like crime pays. It's more just kind of like, you know, you can search for the sublime or like whatever, the right. answer all you want. Bill but, comes to. Right. But we're eventually. all, we're all destined for the dirt. Because all... like what? This movie can't just end with them being like, let's just be hot vampires who murder and then like just jumping into the sky. That would be weird. Uh, you kind of like that? It's kind of a good pit. Yeah. <laughs> thirst too, hardly thirsting. How does only lovers left alive end? Um... Doesn't it end? I have not seen that film since they theaters. Just basically restart the cycle of their relationship. Um, yes, it yeah. ends with them finding a young uh, lovers, like uh, kissing, and yeah. they're like, "Here we, we go, go again!" again. Yeah. <laughs> like, ah, you know, like, yeah. and it's great. That movie's great. Though. I love, but that half of that movie is mostly just them sitting around being like. Remember when we hung out with Mozart? What a crazy dude. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, yes. While they're in What's like a, a parking lot in Detroit. It's the same thing I love about the old guard of just like, it, what do you do if you're thousands of years old? Right. If everything just becomes like meaningless. Yeah. Yeah. You've seen it all. You've done Have it you all. Have you seen Only Lovers Left Alive? I have not seen Only Lovers Left Alive. I need to. Do you yeah. like Hiddleston? I do like, like Hiddleston. It's like peak spindly, sexy, pale ass Hiddleston. Yeah. Maybe. Because um, I'm a fan of Hiddleston and, Cr- and Crimson Peak, so it feels like a oh, one it's of, very, it's of, very of a piece. similar era to yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So like maybe only a year or two before that. Mm. Yes. Oh, he's good in Crimson Peak. He's Should great. Do Del Toro. <gasps> so, I mean, we thought it, we thought he was he probably going to win. Had a shot in this bracket that Park Chan Wook won. Yeah, but then he lost. He to lost Park Chan Wook. Yeah. So fuck around and find out. Fuck around <laughs> and find out is the lesson there. All right. um, are there any other sort of like as a as a fan of his films, general Park Chan Wook thoughts you want to drop on this episode? Um, I like how intentional he is with uh, his camera all the time, yeah, and yeah. the way that he frames things. He always loves frames within frames, especially in that in the introductory scene with the priest when we have the the shot of the hospital door and the shadows of the leaves on it, and it feels like there's. Um, something about nature and man and the clinical, you know, uh, setting there going on. And then um, especially in the scene where um, we have the Mahjong um, game mm-hmm, and with the introduction mm-hmm. of all of the people and the camera swings back and forth between people who are speaking but also people who are reacting. And I was just thinking how different it is from how Bong Joon-ho's camera is with a big ensemble um, scene with a big group of people and how this feels so much more laser focused on a single person yes. with each um, shot versus yeah. with uh, Bong Joon-ho, there's almost like a more of a chaos to it, but also he loves a, chaos. Yeah, but yeah. a more like framed chaos in a way. Mm-hmm. And he I thought that was so interesting. Over each other, and, mm-hmm. yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. What's right. this sort of uh, uh, anthropologist versus architect thing? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Park Chan-wook has always been that architect. He's very clinical. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and I some think, people don't like that. I love, yeah. love it. Mm-hmm. And him making a very clinical 
vampire movie that is as much about how um, they are forces of chaos and evil, but as much as else, but also ruled by their, you know, human natures. Uh, is it feels very only he can make it. Yeah, so. no, this is a normal movie. Anyone could make this. Shit. <laughs> McG could make this. Can I share one thought before we move on to the box office game, please? Yeah. The mother has a really special power mm-hmm. that stuck out for me. Okay. Um, at one point, when her, her son is obviously sick. He farts, and she gives a big old whiff I... and is able to detect certain aspects Food of his hate. sickness. I cannot believe right. we almost went the whole episode Thereby, without talking about this. in a way, yes. sort of being a fart detective. She is there a fart go. detective. Well, right. Go. Right. Because she, she even goes like... No, it smells different than when you had pneumonia. Like she's <laughs> right, right. sort of, yeah. She she's got like different samples to yeah. to pull from. Yeah, she is she is the true fart detective, which by the way is a title we have bestowed upon Ben in the years of this show. I was yeah. wondering about this bit. Yeah, detective. Yeah, he is a fart detective, and I don't why. necessarily love the title, but yeah. I have many others that are far superior. But anyway, fart it's superior. just nice to see. I guess yourself represented on this big screen. <laughs> you clearly like this mom. Yeah. Definitely. No, I, wasn't it that when we went to see Taruk the first flight, yeah. the Avatar Cirque du Soleil show, yeah. that the guy in front of you aligned to buy a hot dog farted yeah. and tried to pass off like it was someone else. Yeah. And you called him out on it. Yeah. And uh-huh. then we called you the fart detective. That's pretty we called much him out on how it like, all to be clear. Went, he didn't that, call him out in person. No. Yeah. yeah that's uh, how that all went down. Yeah. yeah. Thirst was at the 2009 Camp Film Festival. Won a the bang, jury it, prize? It, it won the no, it won the jury prize, the okay. sort of third place prize. It mm-hmm. shared it with um, uh, Fish Tank, the okay. Andrea Arnold film. Mm-hmm. Some of the other movies at that can Glorious uh, Bastards in competition were Inglorious Bastards, yeah. Antichrist, which everyone oh. had a very chill reaction yeah, to. Yeah, normal. Uh, Jane Campion's Bright Star, one of your favorites. Uh, wonderful movie. Pa- Almodovar's Broken Embraces. Uh-huh. Uh, mm. Gaspar Noe's Enter the Void. Mm. I love uh, that movie. Yeah. yeah. Ben Cannon. Uh, Bastards, like we said. Um, you know, uh, Jacques Odiard's The Prophet, mm-hmm. uh, which was uh, sorry, A Prophet, uh, which is a big deal. Uh, <laughs> Great Ang- film. Ang Lee's great film. Ang Lee's taking Woodstock, less of a great film, mm-hmm. um, but still. And um, uh, the palm, of course, went to the White Ribbon. Yes. Uh, M- M- Michael Haneke uh-huh. and uh, Isabel Huppert was the jury president. Everyone was like, she was in the bag for, for Haneke. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, been just kind of a stacked Has camp. he won three yeah. times or two times? Two, two times. No two one's times. won three. Right. Okay. Um, it's a really good year, but yeah, Prophet won the Grand Prix. Um, you know, uh, Christoph Waltz won Best Actor, mm-hmm. and Charlotte Ginsburg Best Actress for Antichrist. Yeah, um, chill movie. That's <laughs> why they gave it to Gowns War. Yeah, well, it, I think that was one of those kind of like sorry, I had to put up. It was all a little bit shit. like the Anadarmas Oscar nomination, right? Big year for full frontal male nudity. I was gonna say yeah. another, another movie with dicks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dick. Right. Um, but isn't that one? Fake, I think so because it gets you know mutilated. That's also the thing that Lars von Trier he said, said his of, Willem Dafoe's penis was too large and distracting. I believe yes. he said confusingly <laughs> that it took away from the story. Yeah, during the test screenings, the audience was confused. That correct? was the only part they went <laughs> otherwise logic crystal. I'm confused. <laughs> yeah, the fox, I get it. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, 
But, uh, you know, still, I feel like early, you know, it's still, it's the 2000s. It's still a very big deal for these uh, films to be winning yes. major prizes at the yeah. big fancy Western film festivals. You mm-hmm. know, Old Boy's Big Breakout was a can, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, was a success at the Korean box office. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, apparently there's an extended cut of yes. the film on its Blu-ray. That's I don't know 15 that minutes I've longer. It is that. only on the Korean Blu-rays. It's not been released in the any other territories. The film is long. It's two yes. hours, 15 minutes, basically. Yes. The, the extended cut's like two and a half. Correct. Uh, let's play the box office game. But yeah, I looked into that. It's it's only available in one version of the Blu-ray that goes for like $250. Uh, this not one came anymore. out in America. Mm-hmm. On July 31st, 2009. So it's the summer of 2009, Griffin. And they released on what, like 4,000 screens? It was released on four screens. Okay. Number one at the box office is a comedy. It's new this week. July 31st, 2009. It's a long film. Speaking of long films. Funny people. I knew that would be enough. But a very low number one. Uh, somewhat underperforming. As as Judd Apatow's big fall up to Knocked Up and an Adam Sandler movie, right. it's only making 22. I think people thought it would do better. Yeah. Uh, but they underestimated the fact that it's 14 hours long. Correct. Which, and sort of incredibly depressing. Kind of a bummer, yeah. yeah. Good movie, though. In my Great opinion. fucking movie I love. Uh, Underrated yeah. movie. Yes. Hangover had Agreed. been so big earlier That's in the That's true. Summer. Hangover number eight is still hanging around. And Sandler at this point, too, it was like every time he made a happy mass in comedy, it made $100 million without exception. And then when he would do his Spanglish or his Rain Over Me or his Punch Drunk Love, then it would kind of bomb. And everyone thought, like, well, this is going to be the one that's this, this right in the middle. Right in the middle, right. Yeah. yeah. But it, it kind of bombed. Um, yeah. You know, it made 55. Or, no, sorry, 51. Yeah, it didn't do great. It's very long. Yeah. How long is it? It's like two and a half hours, I want to say. I think it's even close it's to 240. It's two and a half. Okay. It's crazy yeah. that they let him do that. I love but it. But Knocked Up had been such a smash. Yeah. All right, number two at the box office. What what did it open to? 22. Oh, yeah. Number two at the box office since third week is a film I just said in this episode I said was the best in its series. You said in this episode? I said in this episode this film is the best in its series. What series were we just talking about? Twilight. Twilight? No. No, because that's November. I know. I didn't say it was Twilight. Why did you tell me it was Twilight? (laughs) Okay, wait. Come on, we talked about it. Come on, we talked, you know... Oh, it's the fucking, it's the Harry Potter you like the best. But which one? Order of the Phoenix? No. Uh, Though I think that one's also pretty good. Half-Blood Prince? That's right. Okay. Bruno Del Bonel, beautiful inky visuals. I agree. Uh, There's love potion comedy. That's the one that's mostly. There's Jim Broadbent turning into an armchair. That's only happened in like three or four movies. I have to say, I. It's got a lot of flashbacks. Order of the Phoenix is kind of underrated. Order of the Phoenix, uh, the movie? Yes, is, it, is I agree Lord of the Phoenix the fifth one? The fifth yes, one? yes, yes. That's yeah. the Dumbledore's underrated. Army one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's the first David Yates one. And it's right. him bringing some sort of like juice to the series, yeah. in my opinion. He's got I, a lot of cool de- design ideas. Yeah, because Order of the Phoenix was like him doing like, I'm going to do these weird blue tinted yes. like color scheme things. And it yeah. works really well with Order of the Phoenix, but then he keeps doing it with the next ones. And I'm like, okay. I love it. But <laughs> I, uh, I I also, like his design yeah. for the Ministry of Magic, where it's all the black tiles, it looks like a weird yeah. subway station. Mm-hmm. I just think he... I think, whatever, he, he gave the thing some juice, and now he clearly still has all the juice from this, uh, the crimes of Grindelwald and Secrets of Dumbledore. You can tell. Yeah. The man still got juice. Yes. I'm joking. It Those does feel like a bit like a vampire thing, where they like gave him a power, and right. now it's like sucking, it's draining him. Yes. Half-Blood Prince good, though. It's one of the few summer potters, much like Azkaban. Yeah. It was a summer potter. 
Yeah. Number three at the box office is a cartoon movie about gerbils. Uh, G-Force. Yeah. G-Force. What, one of those movies that like made $130 million domestic and it was like, wow, big hit for Disney. And they were like, actually, we lost $300 million on this. And you were like, what? why was G-Force the most expensive movie ever made? G-Force was $300 million? G-Force, I know that Disney did like a $100 million write-off on G-Force. You, you have brought this up so many it times. It is fascinating. Yes. Because it was a hit. It did all right. Yeah, G-Force did right. pretty good. They, it was like, it well. was... It was directed by, I think, the guy who was, like, the special effects supervisor on the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. And his son was like, you should make an action movie with gerbils. And then he went to Jerry Bruckheimer and was like, my dad, my, my son said I should make an action Be movie with gerbils. weird his dad. Yes. Son, you should make an action movie with gerbils. And Jerry Bruckheimer was like, here's $150 million. And then they, like, tried to do it with state-of-the-art technology. At a time where, like, you could make fucking Beverly Hills Chihuahua for $40 million. No one gave a shit. They were like, what if we make the most photorealistic animals ever? And it just went crazy over budget. And Disney lost their fucking shirt on it. Mickey was shirtless. He's always shirtless. He just wears yeah, suspenders. Yeah, because of G-Force. <laughs> he wishes he was wearing a shirt. Number four at the box office. Yeah. The romantic comedy okay. that dared tell. The proposal. No. Fine. Dared tell what, Griffin? The ugly truth. That's right. A movie we have argued perhaps killed the rom-com. But, you know, women's head yes. is in their heart area. Uh, the, sorry, her heart is in their head area. Right. Men's heart is in their dick area. Right. The poster is she's holding a picture of a heart. Yeah, but then there was yeah. the there was the first oh, even blunter. Oh. You see yeah. where the man's heart is, it's it's not in the head at yes. all. That's the ugly truth. But that's a prime example of a movie that was a hit that arguably killed Heigel there Butler. They are. There they are. And the career the the just romantic comedy as a genre for like ten years. Have you seen the ugly truth? I refuse to watch The Ugly Truth. You know The Ugly Truth, then you don't know The Ugly Truth. I watched the trailers for The Ugly Truth, and I'm like, I'm not watching that movie. You'd rather live a beautiful lie (laughs) than ever know The Ugly Truth. I'd rather, yeah, The Ugly Lie for me. The idea is he's like a talk show host, right? And He's He's like like, Howard Stern. I'm telling you The Ugly Truth. I'm Australian uh, for some reason. David, he's got an American accent. It's one of those I'm telling you The Ugly Truth. Hello, I'm Gerard Butler. I'm very much an American guy. I'm from Nebraska. Yeah, I do a talk show. Where I say, guess what? I don't care who's offended. I like having sex with women. And then Catherine Heigl is hired to make him more appealing to right, women. Right, and then, right. would you believe it? They fall in love. Yeah. Number five uh, at the box office is new this week. It's a bomb. Hmm. Uh, children's film. It's a children's film bomb. bomb. It's a big bomb. Mm-hmm. 2009, July 31st. Is it based on anything? Uh, no. What studio? 20th Century Fox. It's a big 20th Century Fox bomb. It's not Aliens in the Attic. It is. It in is. fact, Aliens in the Attic, yeah. Griffin. You got that in one. That's one where you're just like, what, what was the, the pitch on this? <laughs> what if there were Aliens in the Attic? And you said yes, and you opened the checkbook for that? Yeah, well, that's yeah. what's number one. Number okay. six, the... That's huge... not what's number one. That's what's no, number five. Number five, sorry. Yeah. Number six, the hugely underrated horror, uh, Orphan. Yeah, I'm call it Sarah. I feel like not underrated anymore because it got uh, that legacy sequel. Yeah. yeah. Um, you like Orphan? Yeah. No, it's it's a good movie, and so um, surprised that uh, it's been so long since then. Yeah. yeah, that's wild. But that was also one where when it came out, the reviews were like, "Are they fucking with us?" 
does this movie know it's insane or not? And then I feel like his career has demonstrated, like, yes, I'm fully aware of, of all the insanity. Orphan right. is camp. Yes. I, it's highly camp. Yes, uh, it is the moment. And it's just one of those, yeah, yeah. Or Esther is serving camp. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, Esther the orphan did the thing. There's something wrong with <laughs> Esther. And it's that she did the thing. Um, No, just great Vera Farmiga and Peter Sarsgaard, just two great actors to play like, the fuck is wrong with (laughs) you? You know, the whole movie. Yeah. Uh, You've also got Ice Age, Dawn of the Dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. Which one is that? Three? Three. Okay. Uh, You've got The Hangover still. you got The Proposal still. Comedy Uh going strong. Huge. And then, of course, Transformers, Revenge of the Fallen, the second and worst. The biggest film of the summer. It was a huge, it was humongous. Hit. It made four hundred million dollars at the U.S. Yes. box office. Yes, it like opened to two hundred. God, do yeah. you like the Transformers movies? I detest them. Wow. So All just universally? Uh, everything except Bumblebee. I will say. Yeah. Bumblebee's a little cutie pie. Yeah. He is a little cutie. I hear pie. he doesn't do much in this new one. He's in it though. He's benched. He's in it. He's in it. He's in it. He's but not a beast. <laughs> he's got to let. He's got to step back mm-hmm. and listen. Uh huh. He's gonna sit his ass down and let some others wait rise for the rise of the beasts for once. Uh, that is the neither US of you have seen office. Rise of the Beast yet, right? No, no. You... Especially now that I know that Bumblebee is not in it because he's not a beast. He's just a he's, he's a, a cute little bumblebee. He, bumblebeast. Make he, him a beast. He is in fact uh, a giant car. He is not a cute little bumblebee, but he's cuter. <laughs> uh, let's see. No, yeah. Apparently, Pete Davidson's like one of the main Transformers. He's, I he's think Mirage. The main. I heard he's actually quite good in this too. Yeah, yeah I can. I can see that. Fuck, Ron Perlman is Optimus Primal? Yeah. What? Yeah, monkey. The fuck? Yes. Michelle Yeoh plays... Uh, Michelle Yeoh? Yes. Airazor? Airazor? Airazor. She yeah. turns into a peregrine falcon, Correct. apparently. Yeah. Okay. Is Cheetor in it? Rat hmm? Trap? I don't know what you're talking Arachnia? about. A Cheetor is in it. Who plays Cheetor? Uh, Tongai Chirizia. Okay, no Rat a Trap. A Zimbabwean though. actor. I don't... He was my favorite character. I, I can't keep track of the nonsense you're saying. Retro. Coleman Domingo apparently voices Unicron. Eater of Worlds? Yeah. Unicron's like the Galactus of the Transformers. See, I don't know any of this shit. I don't, I don't, I don't know any of this I was going to say I don't either, but I'm saying Yeah, you're, like, you're the one who's saying, oh, you what about this guy? You know at least a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really into it, but I know it. Yeah, literally every time I read a Transformers article, my eyes glaze over, and I'm like, yeah, something about cars. Well, the other problem is anytime I'm like, I love lore. I don't like the Transformers movies or anything, but I'll yeah. be like, oh, let me read like a a clean Wikipedia page. And it's like, no, there's like 18 different kinds of Transformers things. So there's not even like sort of like a unified canon I can enjoy. I like that the lore exists. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't care about it. Yeah, that's what I kind of like about it. Uh, The more convoluted, the better. Correct. Unicron was the Orson Welles character. That was his final performance. I know that. No, I know. He's a planet. He is a planet. He eats other plants. We love a planet-eating planet. It's just fucking Galactus. Yeah. They just ripped it off. Except he transforms. From a planet into a planet with arms and legs. <laughs> All right, I gotta go home. Oh, now you gotta go home? Yeah. I start talking about Unicron, suddenly you gotta go home? Yeah. I'm out of here. Okay. Hartran, uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. Such a great guest. Gotta come back. Overdue. Yes. I'm also not at all resentful that you guys didn't invite me for the Ghibli <laughs> series. That was so many years ago. Yes, that's true. Yes. It's okay. Yes. It's all right. It's fine. I'm not the biggest Ghibli fan of all time at, or anything. But um, hey, Apologies. Oh, my God. Wait. Well. What's I, your favorite? We'll talk. Yeah, uh, what is your favorite? Spirited Away. It's a pretty basic one, but you it's my no favorite. Pick. The correct mm-hmm. answer. Yeah. Do you have a favorite Takahata? Oh, uh, 
Takahata. Um, I feel like we'll do him eventually. I do love Princess Kaguya. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That movie's incredible. Um, is. I was looking, because uh, there was this story. I'm sure it has changed by the time this episode comes out. But at this very moment, Across the Spider-Verse is the highest rated film in the history of Letterboxd. Oh, sure. Yeah. Just right. early It'd positive. Come and see. Wave. Correct. Yeah. Um, but I was just curious, like, oh, what is the the Letterboxd top 50? And how many of those movies have we covered? And, like, what are the highest rated movies that we've covered? And there are actually quite a few Park Chan-wook films on in the top 50 alone. Okay. Handmaiden, I think, is pretty high up that's there. A, that's an early Letterboxd fave, too. That but came out right when Letterboxd was getting hot. Spirited Away is, like, number four. As it should be. It's yeah. sp- I, I've said it's the best film ever made. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I see, and I we should you know we should talk. We'll do a second. I've watched it sixty times. Wow! I have not seen it sixty times. How many I times have, have you watched Ponyo? Oh, Fifteen okay. more, a lot. Yeah. It's but because I, I don't put think Spirited Away on when I did laundry, so that's why. Gotcha. Well, I, it was a ritual. Spirited Away is like this special like jewel in a box that I will take out in my my toughest times. Okay. I'm like, mm, maybe I should watch Spirited Away. You going through some stuff? Well, the air is on fire. No, That's true. Apart from that, yeah. I'm, I'm doing okay. Yeah. Uh, just very stressed out yesterday with all the air on fire. Oh, not me. I felt very normal. As you know, I, I uh, never extrapolate. Yeah, well, you never extrapolate. You're, you're, <laughs> the you're out there extrapolate. I just got that kid. You're just sort of like, what am I supposed to do here? And, you know, and your kid's like, go outside? And you're like, can't go outside. Yeah. Stressful. It's bad. It looked like when he has the fucking vision of the ocean being on full with blood at the end of Thirst. It didn't not look like that. It did look like that. Uh, do you have anything you want to plug? I would like to plug my own podcast. Yes. Yes. Trekking Through Time and Space. It's a Doctor Who Star Trek watch podcast that I run with Jacob Hall of Slash Film. Right. Uh, you can find it on all your podcasting platforms. But tell me, no, <laughs> I, that's too, tell me the, oh. how do you do this? Okay. Yeah. So. I have never seen Star Trek. You have never seen Star Jacob Trek. Jacob had never seen Doctor Who. Okay. Uh, never seen any of any of any, any series. Any, any of the series. Okay. I'd seen the movies, the Abrams movies, but okay. um, I was I'm a Doctor Who fan. Jacob's a, a Star Trek fan, and we decided to get together and show each other our favorite shows. So each episode is like one of each. It is. You're each one picking each. like a curated episode for the other to watch. Or are you going? Mm, through we're order? going chronologically, baby. All right, I love that. Okay. So right, where, thank you. Where See, are that, you? I like I like these kinds of forms. Oh, absolutely. I, I knew there was a good form. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. First episode where no man has gone before in rows. So you're starting with the. Um, the rebooted Russell We're T. Davis. We're starting with the rebooted of Doctor Russell Who, right. T. Davies, Doctor Who, but then we are going to be going back to the classic Who at some point. We're going to okay. be doing a, a temporal pincer movement. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So well, you can't watch some of those early ones. They like don't exist. They don't Maybe exist. You just like exactly. threw them in the garbage. Mm-hmm. Do you know, there's some of the ones where they still have only the audio, the audio and they've right. now started animating them. Mm-hmm. Which I believe is kind of cool. me. They I'm recently aware. found. Yeah, some... Believe you, you're aware. Those guys are crazy. Yeah. Which guys are crazy? Whovians. Like the true. Who's Doctor the one who's Who? telling you about this though? Like when you're. So I went to school in London, and you're not allowed to make fun of that. <laughs> and uh, it's very serious. <laughs> and there was a Star Trek Society, you know, and like. They watched Star Trek episodes at lunchtime. You go check it out. It's a little, you know, it was a little dorky. They, like, fairly mainstream dorks, you know? Star Trek was, like, on TV, right? You know, when we were kids, when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. That was, like, primetime stuff. Doctor Who was off the air when that I was a That was a pretty neglected moment. Mm-hmm. It was, Doctor you know, because the whole 90s and yeah. much of the 2000s, there's no Doctor Who. Right. Yeah. Except for the one movie with Paul McCann. The failed sort yeah. of pilot. With Eric yeah. Roberts yeah. as the master. Yes. yes. And... There was a Doctor Who Society, right, okay. as well. And they would watch. But the, 
that would be a thing where you're like, okay, so you're a teenager like me. This has never been on while you were a kid. Sure. So you are obsessed with a, a dead franchise yeah. that exists in sort of videotape form. It's like me being obsessed with Buster Keaton movies. Yeah, when I was and like, yeah. Not, I was not a judgmental of it, but it was definitely it was a sort of a deeper, more devoted, kind of quainter form of nerdery. Sure, they were like the true nerds. They're idealists. Right? They a little bit. It was yeah. very sweet, and also like I love those old Doctor Who. I haven't seen yeah. that many of them, but I've seen a fair amount of them. And they're quaint as well because they're, you well, know, I was gonna they're say, very vintage. I feel like so much of the attitude was like, well, they had no money to make any of this and it all looks bad, but the the ingenuity. Yeah, and the, the, spirit, the story the writing ideas. and all that. They had no money and a dream. Yes. It's, uh, uh, anyway, so that sounds fun mm-hmm. going back. So wh- what are you up to now? Well, that's a great question. Oh, uh, unfortunately, well, we're going back and forth between uh, Doctor Who and the spinoff. So we're doing some Torchwood right now. Oh, interesting. So we are at this point doing, we're finishing up Torchwood Miracle Day, which is terrible. Okay. <laughs> I never touched that, any of Torchwood. Is that the last Torchwood? Because there was it's one, the last Torchwood. Because the, the one before that was pretty good, right? Yes. Uh, Children of Earth is that one's good. probably some of the best sci-fi TV I've seen in a while. Right. Torchwood um, season one, I remember being... Very mixed. It's very mixed. It's very That's the nicest way to put it. I yes, think. up and down. Um, but yeah, right now we're in Star Trek TNG and okay. uh, Torchwood Miracle Day. But we're soon moving on to Doctor Who season six. I mean, I guess you. Yeah, you guys truly picked the most bottomless of franchises. You really yeah. can't stop. You can with go these. forever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're in the middle of season two of TNG. We are. Mm-hmm. I was fanatical yeah. about Doctor Who through the middle of the Matt the Smith. Sure. I think a lot of people fell off yes. sort of middle and end of Matt yes. Smith. Around but it's when so daunting up. to even get back right. into it now. Well, I think the new one's going to be kind of a reset. It's right? a nice reset. Russell yeah. Davies is back. Right. And uh, we have a new Doctor. We have David Tennant coming back before the new Doctor played by, new Sh- by Shuri Gawa comes on. Right. Yeah. So uh, I think it'll be a good reset. You can join in again. Although I will say, as one of the people who fell off in the middle of the Matt Smith, well, actually at the end of the Matt Smith era, yeah. um, and then um, you didn't came, watch the Capaldi one. I didn't really? watch it. Yeah. I came back to Capaldi, and now Capaldi, I believe, is the best Doctor. He Here's was thing. amazing. It's just that yeah. the show maybe I had my that's problems. That's the thing. I got his performance towards the end of the Matt Smith run, but Capaldi is like, well, that's of course exactly who should be playing the Doctor. He is incredible. Yeah, like literally every scene with him. I'm just like, I need more of you. I need five more seasons of this. So, yeah. No, I, I, I agree have, with have that. You, I watched pretty much all the – What are your Jodie Whittaker thoughts? Mm, um, the show just stunk with – it wasn't her fault. not her like, fault. She, but she, she was pretty charming. She was like, poorly served by sure. uh, very inconsistent writing and one that didn't know how to 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 characterize its own doctor. Who is the showrunner at the Chris Chibnall. Chris Chibnall. Okay. Don't get me started. Yeah. <laughs> the Broadchurch guy. I mean, that was his big claim to fame is he sure. did Broadchurch. He did yeah. Broadchurch. He did a good right. job with that. And he has some good ideas, but he doesn't know how to follow through with them on any Doctor Who right. episode also, that he's Right, because he did Torchwood as well, right? Mm-hmm. He did. Yeah. Don't get me started. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, okay. I used to really give a shit about that stuff. Loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I maybe, never watched maybe I'll get I never back. watched Sarah Jane Adventures. No, I mean, at a certain point, like, yeah, there's only so many hours in the day. And then still. going back to the earlier stuff just felt like, yeah. Daunting. Daunting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 60th anniversary of Doctor Who this year, guys. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Fuck. Best theme song of all time, except Incredible. for maybe ER. Mm. I don't know. There is this show good. that was on starring Ted Danson. Uh-huh. Becker? Had, yeah. <laughs> had a certain theme song. God, I wish I could remember the Becker theme song. David, could you play it quickly? I haven't heard this thing in years. What? This is from a... It were, this was that a, was a good theme song, yeah. as I remember. Absolutely. I, but I, I can't even... Oh, wait a second. <laughs> Who's the doctor in the house? 
All right, Jen, this is, we were doing a whole bit about this. Sympathy for remember. Mr. Vengeance? Yeah. <laughs> Somehow we spent half that episode talking about Becker and played this theme song. Do you even times. know what Becker is? I've it's never heard of Becker come with Ted Danson. <laughs> what I, if I, I don't even know mean. how old you are. You may have been a child when right. Becker was on TV. What if House was more of an asshole and he didn't actually solve anyone's problems? <laughs> he solves problems. Well, I don't know. He probably writes you it's a description. Similar. It's yeah. always lupus in this case. Yeah, It actually yes. always is lupus. Mm -hmm. right. It's just like, lupus, on you go. Yeah. Becker always says it's lupus, but it isn't. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah sure. Anyway, wait, play the Becker thing. I want to take us out. I literally just, all right, fine. I'll do it again. Okay. Okay, here we go. There we go. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media. Why don't we just do this every episode now? Thank you to Joe Bone and Pat Reynolds for our artwork. Jenny Burke for our theme song. Adrian <laughs> Kenox Baron for our editing. Lamar Gary the Grand Canal. I said that one already. Go to blankshackpod.com for links to some real nerdy shit, including our Patreon Blank Shack special features. Whoa, whoa, what's going on? It just it just loaded up another video called Dr. Pecker Becker on political correctness that I don't know if we want to listen mm. to. No, we definitely don't. Keep going with the outro. Is he a surgeon? <laughs> he's a he's a neighborhood doctor. Yeah. He's he works in the Bronx. Mm. Um but he's an old school New Yorker. Uh, uh, Bunk check special features, Patreon, uh, uh, film series. We're doing the oceans. Mm -hmm. No oceans full of blood, just oceans full of stars. Yeah, movie stars. Movie stars. Uh, and of course, we have our, our free membership on Patreon where every uh, 10 days we unlock an episode from three years ago. So that's Mission Impossible series right now. Yeah, let's sure. see. I think, yes. If. Yeah. Climbing well, the pump for Dead Reckoning Part One. A few days ago, we had uh, Trolls, the experience with Richard Lawson. Mm -hmm. That's an early COVID episode. That is an episode <laughs> describing the last thing we did before lockdown, COVID. basically. Um, Griff, I have to pee. How much of this? Oh, I misread that. It doesn't matter. Enough. You're right. It was Mission Impossible. Well, I was right. Tune in next week for. Well, uh, oh, I'm sorry. You put me on this, but Stoker. Stoker. Yeah. With, do you like Stoker? I do like Stoker. Yeah. Stoker with Emily St. James. Return to the show. Yeah. Far too long. And as always, from here on out, every episode ends with the Becker theme. Play it again. No. Play it again. We'll play it in post. Just Let's just play go. it live. Okay, now you can go pee, David. You don't like me pointing the microphone at my laptop? That's not a thing you like? I mean, it's not. It's not helpful. <laughs>